This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. It is August 19th, 2017, and this is a very tired edition of Psychology is Dead. I'm your host, Quentin Moody, and I am very sleep-deprived. I had a very long day at work, but it's been two months since I've done an episode and if I don't want to be kicked off of the pro wrestling only podcast feed, I probably oh. should record a podcast. I don't think they would kick me off anyway, but still, just in case, we're back. And with me is, I guess, the official, unofficial co-host of the podcast from Sports Entertainment Shrinks, and I guess what would be technically the head writer at Wrestling Reports. Right. I'm not not too many other people actually write things still. It's mostly podcast based, yeah. That is true. So you would technically be the head writer. Maybe I don't I'm not necessarily comfortable with that sort of title. Um before you tangented into uh something funny, I was going to make the 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 humorous comment of, "Oh, is this a tired podcast because you're physically exhausted or because we're talking about Kenny Omega?" Which is, I guess, is a very tired topic. <laughs> yes, very much so. <laughs> um, and Brock just alluded to it now. This episode of Psychology is Dead will be focused mm. on one Kenny Omega. And while, yeah, he's been talked to to death, or about to death, um, for the last year or so, I feel like what we're going to do here probably uh, attack some different points about mm-hmm. Omega that haven't really been covered yet. And this is coming from someone that is still an Omega fan and myself and Brock, who mm-hmm. we'll, get, we'll get into later about why he is no longer as strong an Omega fan as he used to be, or if he's even an Omega fan at all. Mm-hmm. Um, this episode is titled The Art of Connection. And I was looking for were to try to um, title this episode um, and nothing really seemed to fit and the entire time we were coming up for the concept of this episode it was about the fact that Brock no longer connects with Kenny Omega and how him no longer connecting with this guy he really used to like can be bothering annoying um, whoever you, however way you want to put it when it comes to seeing Kenny Omega be such a megastar and probably the hottest entity that's not in WWE at the moment. Totally, totally. Um, so while this will be similar to the AJ Styles podcast in some regards, where it's going to be me being um, pro-someone and Brock being quote-unquote anti-someone, which he is uh, I'm prone to do sometimes. Yeah. But uh, this isn't going to be focused on someone who has like problematic views or has outwardly said horrible things. Outwardly. Yeah. Outwardly. Let's let's make sure. 
Yeah, we get that straight. <laughs> Three yeah. months from now, when Kenny Omega is out, it is, I don't know, some child abductor who's been doing it for <laughs> 13 years. <laughs> Gotta make sure we, we say that. But um, as it stands right now, Kenny Omega isn't in the news for anything yeah. negative as a person. He hasn't done anything that people can point to and be like, man, this dude is really fucked up, has fucked up views. And I guess... I want to touch on where we both saw Kenny Omega first, but I do also want to ask, because this was such a big part of the Styles episode, um, when you dislike someone or a part of your disliking someone because they're a bad person, Mm -hmm. like, obviously that doesn't need much explaining, but I feel like when this, when a, when person, when a person doesn't have anything like that, um, to point to it becomes more of like how do you feel about their um art how do you feel about their performance how do you feel about them in other capacities and sometimes i think um disliking someone because of their um art gets a little personal yes and i was just wondering how you felt about something like that um well it's it's interesting when you first brought up this this specific point because we we do this with a whole bunch of bullet points and uh, notes when we record these podcasts like things that we want to talk about and things we want to hit on and a rough guideline of what order we want to do it in um when you first brought this idea up to me i was a little taken aback by it and a little offended even at the idea that like you um you can only hate people who are bad and i don't think that was necessarily your intention um, nor is it necessarily like something that I think a lot of people believe. Oh yeah, not at all. And like, the thing is, is like, I see when someone like dislikes a wrestler, uh-huh. that's fine. You don't have to like everything you do. I'm not totally. like some kind totally, of person totally. where you just say, shut up and enjoy the wrestling. That's not me at all. I, I, <laughs> I couldn't do this with you if you were. <laughs> exactly. Like that's not me at all. Yeah. So I'm saying like, whenever I see criticism of wrestlers and how like, uh, vitriolic and how like hateful a lot of it can sound especially Uh in like the words used the way Uh like the sentences are structured it sounds like really hateful and spiteful a lot of the time and this is people and these are people that don't have like those kind of things to be like well fuck this person because they did this it's really just because you don't like the style um in which they do things Mm. in the ring so I guess that's why I wanted to point it, put it there because now mm-hmm. we're talking about someone that where it's like this has to be strictly art based because there isn't something. Well, he has interviews and seminars that we'll get to, but like you really only have the art to base off of. To to some degree, yeah. Uh, well, to the for the most part, you're right. We we do only have Kenny Omega as a performer to really judge off of, um, and to one degree or another, you can really dislike Kenny. Uh, as I do as a performer, but that's different from uh, Tyson Smith as as a as an individual. And I, I was going to say, like, I think I can get a better understanding of who Tyson Smith is as an individual due to, as you said, like these shoot interviews and these seminars and and all of this like non in the ring wrestling based uh, media. But at the same time, it's like that person in those moments is fundamentally different from Tyson Smith when he's um, just had sex, when he's cooking eggs for breakfast, when he's on the uh, 
train to go to the gym. Like when that is when he's at his favorite bar. Like you know, like, totally. Like, like this is like this um, this individual he's doing like shoot interviews who is on the surface real different from the Kenny Omega we see in the ring is still not quite Tyson Smith. It's more performative, which is a word I'm going to use a lot here. Um, it, it's, it's put on, it's, it's someone who's still trying to entertain. Um, so at the same, at the same time, as I say things like, I think I can get a good read for who he is as a person. Uh, I'm not going to suggest that I am intimately familiar with who uh, Tyson Smith is or who the person behind Kenny Omega is. But as a performer, yeah, I, I, I don't like the guy. Um, his art is something that I've grown away from in recent years or one facet of his art specifically, and we'll get into that. Um, I also think he's just think, I also think he's just sort of a real cocky person, uh, which is something I can like sometimes. I'm, <laughs> I've talked before about how I'm a big fan of CM Punk and Dean Ambrose. Like clearly I'm, I'm into cockiness sometimes, but, uh, Kenny, and this is something I'm definitely going to bring up later on. Uh, I wasn't sure that you were going to ask this question specifically so early. Um, Kenny, in recent years, I think, has developed something of a savior complex, and it really, it really grinds on my gears. And uh, I'm going to leave that as an early teaser to something that we'll talk about later. Um, so I guess now we should talk about when were you first introduced mm-hmm. to Kenny Omega? Um, I'm not sure quite exactly when it was. It was, it had to be somewhere the summer or fall of 2008, um, my first year of wrestling fandom. And while I can't tell you when exactly it was, I'm pretty sure I can pinpoint what specifically I saw of Kenny Omega. And it was the uh, match we're going to talk about here in a second. Um, the champion of anywhere match that he had with Mike Angels up in, uh, Winnipeg, I assume, um, which was a video that he put together to hype up his upcoming tour of DDT, his first tour in DDT, which is sort of a real historic thing for him. And uh, holy shit, there's a huge spider on this window next to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I am moderately arachnophobic, and it is really scary. But um, he uh, – Jesus, fuck. Um, Kenny – or I'm sorry, Kota Ibushi at the time was doing a whole bunch of like Falls Count Anywhere matches, uh, as well as like the campsite matches that are real famous, and uh, was getting to be real well known for wrestling in the streets. And Kenny saw that and was like, oh, hey, this is pretty cool. Um, and was going to be in a high-profile match with Kota Ibushi on this first tour of DDT, and was like, okay, they want something from me to show to their fans to 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 let them know who exactly I am. And so he did this like goofy little uh false kind of error match uh in his yard in <laughs> like a dock area in the water of like a lake or something. Um in this big like quarry area in which he and Mike Angels like fall off a, a big cliff of dirt. Um and it's it's a really formative thing, not just in his career, but in my understanding of who Kenny is. Um, and that's where my experience came from initially. And then, then I saw him in ROH because he was still in ROH at the time. And I saw him as he began to get booked for PWG and very quickly became a huge deal in PWG. And um, that's where it all started. Yeah. And this is where it's different from the AJ episode too, is where I think I saw AJ, First, yeah. A couple of years prior to you, 
I saw Kenny Omega maybe two or three years after you in 2010, 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, I speak about it sometimes. I don't think I've ever talked about it on the podcast, but uh, guys like Kevin Steen, El Generico, the Young Bucks, and Kenny Omega in that 2010, 2011, 2012 range are like my guys because that's a lot of that's a lot of that stuff is when I started to really branch out into U.S. indie wrestling. Uh-huh. And it's funny because a lot of my fandom is that I was watching like older Japanese wrestling before I was even watching like more up to date mm-hmm. American stuff. Mm-hmm. So when I saw those guys and I missed the generation of your Danielson, your punks, um, your low keys, your Samoa Joes, your styles is because those guys were already on TV. And by the time Danielson and whoever else, um, did the WWE, I already missed all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I barely caught the, I barely caught the end of like Chris Hero and Claudio Castagnoli. So like all those guys, I didn't really get to see when they were coming up. And it's not to say that Omega and the Bucks and CN Generica were coming up. They had already been well established for a few years, but now they're, uh-huh. um, they're becoming like the guys around. Well, more specifically, um, Steen and Generico. And Kenny Omega was making his name in Japan. Uh, the first match I saw of his was definitely in DDT. I can't say who it was. I'd be lying if I acted like I knew. Um, but something about the guy, his look was different. He had this, uh, really unique curly blonde hair mm-hmm. that like at most you could say was Magnum TA ish, but it doesn't even look like that. Yeah. Um, he hits hard and he's like a real muscular guy, but he's mm-hmm. real agile. He moves in a way that nobody else moves. And I think to this day, he still does the sure. way he slides around in the ring, the way he goes for a drop down, the way he like does certain stuff like, just no one else does it in his style. And it was similar to how I first viewed AJ is that AJ would do things athletically that I had not seen before. So for me to still be like 13, 14 years old, um, maybe younger, but um, still seeing um, something that wowed me uh, really brought me to Kenny Omega. And I wasn't always uh, exposed to comedy wrestling, so to say. WWE tries to be funny, and it wasn't always my thing. Yeah. TNA doesn't, didn't really do comedy that much, other than, like, putting someone in a turkey suit. That's so funny. I've never really thought that, like, what I understand as comedy wrestling is in no way related to what mainstream wrestling is. Yeah, so when I first see Omega, and when I first start seeing more of them, it's like, yeah, I've never seen, like wrestling like this where it's like so self-aware mm-hmm. and like in on the joke and that's what um ddt is for the most part and that's why i really enjoy ddt still mm-hmm. um a great blend of quote-unquote serious professional wrestling with like the self-aware um we're trying to be funny this is a joke we can laugh here too kind of stuff uh-huh. and kenny omega um i think even more so than harashima and kodabushi and Kudo and Sashihiro Takagi, he embodied that he can go from comedy to serious wrestler, like in a blink of an eye. Totally. And that was one of the talents I just never been exposed to before. So from that point on, Kenny Omega was a guy that I uh, was really entranced by and always um, found time to seek out.
One thing I didn't actually say in my uh, in my part of this little discussion, um, the whole impetus behind this podcast coming together was, I think back in January or so, or it might have been earlier, but I no, think it was in... Yeah, it was January. It's about the top 100 stuff. Okay. Uh, so back in January, I offhand just mentioned that Kenny Omega used to be one of my favorite wrestlers. Like, um, there was definitely a point in my life in which, like, he was number five on my five favorite wrestlers in the world. And you were taken aback by that. You had, you had known me for maybe about six months at that point. And um, six months of Kenny Omega's like ascension into, into stardom in New Japan. And everything you had seen me say or discuss about Kenny Omega was like negative. <laughs> and, and you had, totally been taken aback by the fact that i said like once upon a time i really i really did love the guy and that's sort of how we got here to this point um and i guess we should talk about what changed and why he's no longer one of my faves um i think it's something important to note here because this person i think is a real big influence on omega's wrestling style uh you're not a big Shawn michaels fan anymore or as big as one as you used to be uh yeah when i first got into wrestling the 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 main event of the first uh wrestling show i ever saw featured Shawn michaels and uh you really you, you put the screws to me and i'll probably say that sean was my first favorite wrestler um maybe i'll cite danny havoc uh instead because i think danny danny became my favorite in a period of time in which i branched out to more than just wwe so in that like narrow little period of time in which i'm only watching uh, some real select stuff. It, Sean definitely was one of my favorites, but as, as the years have gone on and as my tastes have changed and as I've learned not just more about like who Sean was as an individual, but like how exactly he approaches wrestling and what sort of performer he is. Um, I've grown, I've grown less enchanted with Sean, but I can still appreciate um, a lot of what he does. See, that's what I think is interesting here. It's like when you think of Sean's approach approach to wrestling, he obviously um, wrestles for things people will remember. He wants to uh -huh. be like the spotlight. And I think your taste as a fan have changed so much that like someone who was like actively a hog for the spotlight turns you <laughs> off. And like I, I think I Kenny guess, Omega yeah. very, very much is that. And that's why yes. – um, I've known other people who like don't like Shawn Michaels and don't like Kenny Omega. And I'm like, that's like a pretty direct correlation because uh, um, I'm not sure if you ever um, saw this, but Kenny Omega's three favorite WWE wrestlers ever. I'm not sure if this is general top wrestlers ever, but his WWE ones are Shawn Michaels, Mick uh, Foley, and Vince yes. McMahon. And the Shawn Michaels one, <laughs> the Shawn Michaels one is very, very evident. Uh, so totally. whenever someone says they don't like Omega, I always kind of like ask, how do you feel about Michaels? Uh-huh. Um and, and like you can you can clearly see that sort of influence, especially in his younger days. Um and in it just you're, you're totally right in that very explicitly like we'll probably touch on it in one of these interviews that we both read, like Kenny specifically does state that like he does wrestle for people to remember how they felt in that match. Like the sort of emotion I think that he laid the wrestlers it out, um, as simply as there's, I don't know if it was like an interview or if it was the seminar that we both watched, that 
there's um, entertaining matches and there's boring matches to him. And yeah. like, I could I could totally see why someone just thinks like that's complete shit. But I also like it like I'm kind of um. I think that kind of honesty when it comes to like how you view wrestling and that you're going to leave everything out there uh-huh. and that you're going to try to entertain any way you can. I like that straightforwardness about it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that you can see coming from uh, his upbringing in wrestling, which is certainly non-traditional. Um, now that we've seemed to drifted that way, I was going to ask you why you um, kind of like um, took, um, took um, some steps away from Kenny Omega, but I think his approach to wrestling mm-hmm. and um, what we gather about how he views the wrestling industry are definitely things that uh, lead into where that conversation was going. So if we take a little bit of a detour here, we watched uh, a couple of interviews, watched some seminars, um, read some interviews uh, about Kenny Omega. And I think there, I think Omega is a guy where there isn't a lot out there about him and how totally. he views wrestling. Yeah, so like, that's why, way, like, way less than someone who is so public today would, you exactly. think. Like, um, it's, it's kind of nuts. Yeah, and that's why I always, like, tend to stay away from, like, talking about someone as a person because all we have is, uh-huh. like, the performative stuff. Like, if someone, like, very clearly makes their personal feelings known on Twitter, then that's, like, a different thing. Like, you know, a Zack Sabre Jr., David Starr, Type yeah. who gets very much into the um, show, social and political things going on in the world, I think it's a different situation when it comes to talking about them as people. But someone like Kenny Omega or uh, even people like the Young Bucks, where they don't really put that kind of stuff out there, I always think it's weird to approach it as a people angle when they're clearly not giving mm-hmm. you that part of their lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, though so it's um, I don't know, like uh, some part of me really, really does believe in the death of the author that like you should, you should only approach um, a piece of entertainment from, from a standpoint as if like you didn't know who the author was. Like you should only approach it uh, through the text itself uh, and through any subtext therein and not from like, Oh, I know for a fact that this person felt this way in real life. And, and that's going to flavor how I think. Um, right. Like, uh, Kanye West, like delightful musician for the most part, has um, has made a couple of my favorite albums ever. I still think my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is like the best album released in this decade. Um, don't like Kanye as a person <laughs> at all, and especially not after the most recent uh, political cycle. And if I didn't know who Kanye was as a person, I think I could like sort of gather what he was like through his music and specifically rap, I think is a very, um, very personal genre, very personal and individualistic genre. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you could definitely get a good taste from Kanye specifically. But if I, if, if Kanye didn't have a Twitter, I think I'd probably think better of him. So like, I think that that sort of thing is important, but I mean, at the and same like, time, and then uh, here's the thing. I don't think this is necessarily like a kind of separate the art from the artist thing. Uh-huh. Because there's a difference between someone like separating someone like being well, well, they're really good at their job, but they're a shit person. Sure. But being like, um, we just don't know much about this person, like true, as in true. Like, what they do outside of this um occupation. Uh-huh. And I think that's the truth with guys like Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. Where like, yeah, they'll do interviews, 
about stuff that's happened to them inside of the industry, but like, what do we really know about these guys as people? They're not yeah. putting that out there for us. They're not putting that out there for us to consume. They're going to go out there and um, perform as wrestlers. So, I wish, I, I sort of wish they did because a, uh, as a modern fan, I sort of like seeing that sort of thing. And I know a lot of people share that mentality. Uh, and B, it, it would also give me fodder for, for which to hate them, <laughs> which is always handy. <laughs> um, but, not that that I again in something I stated with the AJ podcast. I don't hate Kenny. Um, I don't think I could grow to hate someone who I used to love so much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I didn't. I didn't love AJ, and I certainly don't hate AJ either. So I can't. I can't deign to to suggest that I hate Kenny Omega, and I don't. So I guess like the first interview I want to talk about is when he did on High Spots in 2014, uh-huh. and this is one that. The, uh, that the, you, uh, that you had catch, a couple. Yes, the catch you, uh, catch yeah. him if you can interview. Yeah. yeah, and this is one I know that you had um a couple of issues with. Uh-huh. Um, that I think would just be much better like worded or f- like phrased out if we like did it here because I was sure. uh, definitely very confused and like um some of the things that you pointed out. It's uh well, it's funny because like uh when this came out back in 2014, I was like even even like not even three months, three years ago, I was a very different person then. And my taste in wrestling, uh, have certainly changed so much since then. And so back then I was just, just sort of just then getting back into the swing of watching wrestling full time after college. Um, after taking like lengthy breaks during college in which I was like basically only watching PDPG. <laughs> um, so with like Bola 2014 and with Kenny coming over and with Zach making his PWG debut, like I was really excited about a lot of things. Uh, and so I bought all of Bola, all, all of the Bola DVDs that year. And I bought this interview because I was like, I, I couldn't think of ever seeing a Kenny Omega interview before. And I was like, I would like to see this sort of thing. Um, so I bought it and I watched it and I really enjoyed it back then. Um, and I still today really enjoy it. I think it's, I think it's a, an in-depth look at who this person is, who doesn't let a whole lot of information about him out. And, uh, and at the very least, I think Kenny is an interesting person. Um, he certainly had a non-traditional wrestling career and has had things happen to him that, um, probably would have ended most people's careers. And he has powered through them and come out better for them. And it's interesting to see that sort of thing. Uh, but specifically, when I revisited this in 2017, some things really stood out to me um, that were very strange. Like, And I posted some of these clips on my Twitter, if you want to go follow uh, follow me at NotBrockYonke and see a couple of these clips. Uh, and there I described them as like interesting things and hypocrisies. Um, and what I mean by that is that like he describes – uh, specifically WWE wrestling, but in a greater sense, you can you can say like he's describing wrestling that is not his wrestling, or wrestling that is not like the Young Bucks or other people that he really likes. Um, in which he describes WWE wrestling in like literally the exact same language that I describe his wrestling today. Like um, he says things like lifeless and soulless and like overly choreographed. Um, He's got here. I've got a quote here. Uh, he's talking. I think he's specifically talking. Yeah, he's specifically talking about WWE here and like um, 
how they start matches and things like that. And he says, quote, you can tell just how much was predetermined and scripted to a T that it just looks too governed. And like that is word for word some shit that I would say about him. And it just blew me away that like this person who was describing a different thing that he didn't like in wrestling was using the very same language that I have used to describe him. Yeah, and I think the way that you put it, you said hypocrisies. Uh-huh. And like Which is that's that's certainly not a fair term. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like the word hypocrisies means like <laughs> this person is like actively saying don't do this um doing it, yeah. and then going and doing it themselves. And his thing is just he has an opinion on what the WWE style is. But it's like it no 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 at this I'm Go saying ahead. that you can have you have your own opinion on what his style is. Sure, that sure, is, sure. That, that's it. But that doesn't mean that he's a hypocrite for saying like what, what? their stuff is. I, I think him. one one specific term that sticks with me is choreographed. And like sure. if if he is suggesting here that his stuff isn't choreographed, he is like I I don't know what to say. <laughs> like he is like so not self aware. I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure. If choreographed is the right word for it, okay. because obviously, like with how much comes from WWE when it comes to like the producers, agents, mm, whoever's laying sure. out the match, there's a lot more going on there. Sure, sure, sure. I fully believe that Kenny Omega thinks like everything that they do there is like so minute by minute, detail by detail. This is exactly what you're gonna do. Uh huh. So I interpreted it that way. Now I'm not saying he doesn't practice spots. He certainly can. To do some of the stuff they do in the ring, you have to have some kind of a practice, totally. which I think knowing New Japan, they get a lot of that in on the six-man tag shows, the house totally. shows, and things like that. So, well, I get what you were saying there, but the way it was phrased was like, I know how you would describe Kenny Omega's wrestling, mm-hmm. but that's also like an opinion thing. It's it's at the same time though. It's not just his wrestling. It's as you were saying, like um, the 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 agents and the other things that are not strictly the wrestling part of the wrestling that go into the whole show right. as a whole. And and he specifically calls out like um, pre-programmed robots who just like walk to the ring, do stop, their, yeah, do, do their pose, and, and it's like yeah. that's exactly what he does, you know. And it it, it like, again just an opinion sort of thing, but like. It it just it knocked me on my ass when I heard that. And and to this interviewer's credit, I don't I don't know who it is actually. Uh, he played the devil's advocate for a second and was like, "Well, a lot of people would say that sort of thing about you." And Kenny takes it pretty well for like twenty seconds, and then goes on this. I don't want to I don't want to call it a tirade. I'm trying I'm trying not to use harsh language here because like I obviously feel very strongly about this person, but I want to paint him in a fair light more than anything. Um, but when, when this interviewer is like, well, what would you say to people who, who uh, use these sorts of terms uh, on you and describe your wrestling this way? And he goes on to, to, to describe these people as quote maniacs who only quote appreciate what they're spoon fed on TV. And like, it's that sort of thing that really grinds my gears. As I was saying earlier that like, it's, I don't know. Like you can, you can certainly be anti WWE. I'm very anti WWE. <laughs> I try uh, as hard as I can not to watch WWE uh, as much as I can as someone who tries to stay up 
on wrestling and tries to write about wrestling and do a lot of podcasts on wrestling. But like, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's just because like I've grown to dislike this person over the years, and then I returned to this interview that I liked and found this stuff that at one point didn't um, didn't bother me, and now it does. Maybe that's the whole reason I why. Lo- I guess like a lot of the stuff that he's saying sounds like stuff that you would also say about WWE. Sure, so, but, like, it's, that's, but it's, I, I, I'm not meaning to cut you off there, but I think like, no, it's fine. to like flesh out the point, it's like. I think because you're so down on Kenny right mm. now, that uh-huh. even if he's yeah. saying things that typically you might say or you might agree with, it's like, well, yeah. no, like you can't do that. It's like that's that's not that's not the only thing though. That's a very fair point to make uh, because you're right. I would describe WWE with the same language, but it's like it's the fact that I would also say these things about him right and then that then when that point is brought up that that he gets real he gets defensive about it in a way that really that really pisses me off and like if he if he just said something like oh well i mean people can think that thing about me and that's fine you can you can do whatever and he's he does a whole lot of that here of like oh everyone has their own opinion but uh i don't know it really it's this it's this sort of like pompousness or this sort of cockiness about your own wrestling and specifically for someone as we'll talk about later specifically for someone who states i want to make wrestling better like that sort of pompousness and a lack of self-awareness of like your own shortcomings it really gets to me do you take that as awareness as his own shortcomings or thinking that he actually genuinely want no I, that's yeah. i i that's how i take it yeah so you don't think that he like i don't i don't want to say i don't think kenny's a dumb guy um, I don't want to say he's not a self-aware guy, but like in these moments, it comes across that way and it's frustrating. No, I think when you mentioned like how he responds to like, I guess like what would be like the so-called critics, I think it's important to note about Kenny Omega is that he's part of that group of guys that Jim yes. Cornette's, that Jim Cornette hates. It's, so yeah, like, no, I Outside of John Cena, there is no one in our lifetime who has gotten this much shit from wrestling fans and wrestling critics as Kenny Omega. Yeah, and the, maybe the Young Bucks, but... Maybe, sure. But Kenny Omega has gotten a ton of shit for yeah. years. And this, and, is like, and this is like even before he goes to Japan, because him doing yes. the whole anime thing was already like, okay, what the fuck are you doing uh, and it's not just Cornette. It was Bill DeMott. It was Harley Race of all people. <laughs> it, it was it was a lot of sources, and like that certainly does flavor things here, um, because Kenny has had a very uniquely harsh blowback against um, against his wrestling, and he and he's described his wrestling as just like him being himself and yeah. doing and doing what he loves and uh, representing things that he loves and wants to see represented. And to have that, like, straight out attacked. Viciously (laughs) attacked. I imagine he's been called a whole bunch of uh, Uh slurs and derogatory terms. Oh, my God. Yeah, the fact that, like, he's a bisexual man certainly doesn't help that in any sense, yeah. And, like, I I totally recognize that that has um, had an impact on on him. And you can see it happen. And, like, I hate that it's happened to him. 
And I can understand if he gets a little petty and a little and I think short. Especially, with I think especially 2014, where like uh, he hasn't really like shot up the shot up to the top like he has yet. Totally. I've seen DDT is a big star. Yeah, this this was this interview was like um, I think it was one month mm-hmm. before he signed. Um. So yeah, I think Omega now, especially with like I think Jim Cornette still take shots at him, and I think the most recent Constantly. Time, Kenny, Kenny Omega was just like, look, man, leave me alone, please. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think back then, even though, uh, I think the I think the wounds were still really fresh for Kenny. Yeah, like, I, for the most part, I would say that he's mellowed out. Um, and I'm glad to see that, because uh, it's healthy to mellow out. <laughs> um, there's also an interview with Fighting Spirit Magazine mm-hmm. that came out before the Okada Omega 2 at Dominion. Uh-huh. And this was one I found real interesting because this is definitely more current Kenny Omega in his mm-hmm. thoughts on the wrestling industry. And while he's not um as uh, clearly um still uh, upset or holding on to things as he was in 2014. Well, that's what, uh, that's what you say. <laughs> I can read I, into a lot of things here. <laughs> I don't think he's as bad, but I still think you can see um mm-hmm. him. He's really... um. I think he's more jaded than ever in this one. I think he's, jaded. Jaded's an interesting term that's definitely going to pop up a lot here. Yeah, I think he's more jaded than ever, and this is something that even with Kenny Omega was a big thing about him nearly ten years ago. Uh huh. So, I think him sounding so like even more disillusioned with the current wrestling industry than like ever before, and like him and. Like drawing, like the interview with drawing comparisons to Shinsuke Nakamura and how Shinsuke doesn't like wrestling, and um, I thought I found that to be the most interesting part here is that Omega just straight up says wrestling sucks, and it's weird. And this is where I think more than the catch me if you can or catch him if you can interview, like cap- captures him in a pompous or arrogant way because now he's straight up saying wrestling sucks and mm-hmm. I want to fix it because I think my wrestling. It's good. And like that, I can see why that bothers you. Yeah. Like that, I can see bothering you more than like the other stuff where I thought that was like, it's like, it's like an elitism and like, believe me, believe me, I'm a fucking like Japanese wrestling fan on the internet. I know about elitism. (laughs) Like, and I I don't know. And and, like, once again, I, I, I do have to stay like the fact that I used to like this guy and don't like him any longer. Like there's like a, there's like an old ex girlfriend sort of vibe to it where it's like, Everything he does is a little more. It's more. It's more like it's more scrutinizing than it would be if like if it was just like a yeah. Like if Jonathan Gresham came out and said, um, "I think all wrestling sucks." Like, I no, don't that think would you, hurt, that would hurt me a lot. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I don't think you'd be giving him nearly the same blowback. No, because I, I, like, I like I like I like. I don't like Gresham as much as I liked Omega back then, but I no. Okay, I like how about Gresham Chuck Taylor? I don't know Chuck Taylor said no. Like, Chuck, Chuck Taylor's my favorite wrestler. No, here's the thing. I've known. I oh, know okay. Chuck Taylor has as like. I don't think Chuck Taylor really watches wrestling the way he used to, and I'm not sure yeah. if I have it correctly, but I'm not sure he's like as big a fan as he used to be. And that goes for a lot of wrestlers. Mm-hmm. A lot of wrestlers, once they start traveling a lot and they just have less time at home, they're just not as big of fans. Mm-hmm. So if Chuck Taylor came out and said, I think all wrestling sucks. I think a part of it, and this is, once again, we're just we're just building – so much of this podcast for later, <laughs> but this is definitely something I'm going to bring up later. Um, I think if Chuck Taylor said it, like there would definitely be an air of 
uh, of a joke to it because like so much of what he does and says both in and out of wrestling is sort of comedic and there's a little bit of irony to things. And that's not to say that Kenny Omega doesn't share some of those same qualities being um, a really good comedy wrestler and someone who's done a lot of comedy wrestling. But like here, someone who does straight up play people on the internet sometimes (laughs) exaggerates and makes people think he's like signing to WWE and Uh he's injured and all these things when like in reality, I don't think he was really close to signing with WWE or any of that stuff. He's a fighting game player and an FGC member. He knows about fucking around. Yeah. Um, but I think with Kenny, like in these interviews, um, both in these these just written interviews and the ones where like I can read his uh, visual and uh, verbal cues, I don't think he's fucking around. You know what I mean? Like he honestly just does believe like uh, I'm not a fan anymore and I think wrestling sucks and mm. I want to make it better, which is like totally, totally admirable. But like there's something about that tone. And to play devil's advocate here, it's like, Someone like Tyler, the creator, um, more recently has been like, like when he's like said things on Twitter the last few years, he was like a real um, young guy, like teenage, early 20s. I think he's my age. Type, like, typing and not anymore. Yeah. I think he might, might be like 26, is maybe. It? Okay. He's not, he's not much older than me. So like, yeah. when I was, when I was like 17 years old, listening to his stuff, he was still young and he yeah. was big then. So yeah. So, like, a lot of people still think that Tyler Creator jokes around when he says stuff all the time. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this is a grown adult man. Like, yeah, I understand that you guys still have this image of him as, like, this jokester, wow, pranks bro guy. But this is a fucking adult. And yeah. just because you think he's, like, just because he, like, you know, he's still that guy to you he can still grow up and he can still have an opinion that isn't always a joke. So I was thinking that, yeah, Chuck Taylor jokes a lot, but I found it um, interesting to phrase it as, well, Chuck Taylor jokes a lot. So I would take it as a joke kind of way. No, that's a fair, that's a fair argument to make. Um, But like, I don't know, man, like just scroll through the man's Twitter. Like he, I don't know. Like I, I'm coming from a real personal place. Chuck Taylor's my favorite wrestler. I'm wearing his damn shirt right now. Uh, <laughs> like uh, yesterday, you and I watched. I'll talk about this later too. Yesterday, you and I watched him win the PWG Championship, and I cried watching that. Right. Like he's he's someone who means a whole lot to me. So I I might get a little defensive about certain things, um, but it like I don't know. I I I I believe him when he's joking around about things because he's he's like me. He jokes around about a lot of things, but when he gets serious, he gets serious. And if he would say something like that, I think I could read the room. Um, and I'm reading the room here with Kenny Omega, where when he says, uh, I want to make wrestling better because I think it sucks. I'm taking it at face value. So now a lot of people don't really have that, um, mindset anymore of like, through like any way, any means, even if I'm by myself, I'm a lone soldier, I'm going to make the industry how I want it to be. Um, you mentioned CM Punk earlier having that kind of mindset. And, like, I know, like, when people talk about CM Punk now, it's oftentimes, like, negative and trying to paint him as a joke because he lost in the UFC. But CM, sure. Punk, <laughs> CM Punk is a guy that where, like, very literally he was changing, like, the culture uh-huh. within WWE. So that... when like, I, th- I think a lot of how WWE ne- is now not, like, completely changed. That's the thing. It's not completely changed. Sure. Even if it's small changes, there are very clear um, changes in direction and how they view guys. 
So uh-huh. I think Kenny Omega, even if it seems like a real, like, you think you can do that kind of task, I like the fact that we have another guy that thinks they can, like, make that kind of impact. Sure, totally. Like, uh, I would much rather Kenny Omega try to change wrestling in a way that I don't like. Uh, I would much rather that than wrestling just remain the same that it always was. Yeah, um, I think that's an, I think that's a great point. Mm-hmm. That even if you don't like the style, even if you think there might be some kind of similarities, well, I think mm-hmm. very apparent in like the New Japan style. That's kind of like we'll talk about that later. But <laughs> I hate the fact that we set, <laughs> I set that up. It's so <laughs> much. <laughs> but I do. I agree with you that I'd rather someone, even if I don't like what they do, like uh-huh. make a change that could yeah. um, spawn like throughout the entire wrestling industry than just like even more um homogenization of the wrestling yeah. world. Like I don't I don't want stagnation. I want movement of some kind. Even even if it's not positive growth or what I perceive to be positive growth, uh I would prefer that to stagnation. Uh, well, this is this is an interesting thing you brought up though, this whole like punk changing the industry because he most certainly did even in the 6 to I don't know 8 years that he became um it's been like 6 or 8 years since he became like a major player in WWE. And even in that short period of time, you can see fundamental changes in how they operate. And uh, because of that, how just the wrestling world operates. Do you, um, I mean, we're still early into it. Do you see any change that Kenny Omega has brought out? Um, I think most recently and most clearly, he brought the ladder match to New Japan. That's interesting, yeah. Granted, it was supposed to be like Tanahashi that was he was in the ring with, but uh-huh. they could have done a ladder match at any other point in New Japan's history. And, and, if, you listen, and if you like listen to the interviews or read whatever, that was Kenny Omega pushing for them, like, hey, let's push the envelope. If we're trying to expand to an American market or whatever, let's up the ante here. Let's do something that's not a regular old singles match. This is a this is an interesting point. Um, it's something else that we've found a couple times in these interviews, uh, and I think he goes into it in great detail in this Fighting Spirit magazine interview from June of this year. Um, he talks about how like he's real opinionated, and um, he pushes hard for the things that he wants to see in wrestling, not just what he does, but what other people do. And um, even if that doesn't always fly with what people like. And even if it gets some heat or whatever, or or even if people hate him as he's so not going to finish that sentence, because again, I'm trying to be fair to this guy. Um, He, he talks about like how, how much he's an individual who tries to change as much as he can. And it stinks that other people and other promotions don't necessarily have that much of a freedom, but he's going to use his position to change things the way he does. And one thing that I'll say that I still like about Kenny Omega is that I like that he's like that. I think he goes about that concept in sort of a cocky way, or at least he describes it in a cocky way. And I think that, and um, I think even in an interview when you mentioned first the high spots one and now uh-huh. fighting spirit, he acknowledges that cockiness. He acknowledges totally. that people. Oh, he does. Arrogant. Yes. So it's, I think in, I think that's when when you mentioned that he doesn't seem like um like self aware of how he sounds. I think the fighting spirit one. Is well, like the con- like the contrary to that. Where he like acknowledges, I probably sound cocky. I probably sound like an asshole, but I have very strong opinions. Let me. I got receipts, Quentin, on page fifty-seven of the Fighting Spirits magazine interview. 
he goes on to say, quote, being a cocky person, I guess, qualifies you as a bad person or a bad human or a bad person, end quote. And he's trying to say, like, people don't like me. So therefore, they try to paint me as as a bad human being and that I'm bad at wrestling and I'm bad for wrestling because of that. To be fair, Jim Cornette, which well, he probably is doing that too. Sure, sure. It totally. does, that it does happen to him. Not two paragraphs later, he goes on to say, let me think. Oh, I'm trying to find it here. Fuck, I'm going to really fuck up my point here. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Not two paragraphs later, he says, and it's not like it isn't stressed to me. These things are difficult. It's difficult to continuously put on critically acclaimed matches back to back to back to back. But I'm not doing it because I'm cocky. Uh, and I have this ego to feed for myself. I am doing this because I think wrestling sucks and I'm trying to make it better. And he, and he goes on to like reference the fact that, yeah, no, he is cocky. And it's just, it's, it's the fact that he does this two paragraphs later after yeah. saying like, no, I'm not cocky. And it's, I think it's that's the sort of thing that really grinds on me. I think you're equating like cockiness in the, the, like the way I viewed it is like, he acknowledges that he's a cocky person, but uh-huh. the way he wrestles isn't because he's, isn't because he's cocky. Like, yeah. That, I, I think guess. I think you kind of like took those as like the same thing. Sure, 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 sure. So there was something that was yeah. that was a tangent off of something else we were talking about previously, and I don't remember what it was because I had a point to say there. What were we talking about? Uh, we were definitely talking about like what we gather um, from how like his yeah. views on the industry based on these interviews. And one um, thing that isn't an interview, isn't a seminar, isn't whatever, mm-hmm. is a. Uh, after he wins the PWG title in the 2009 Battle, Battle of Los Angeles, where the title is vacant, uh-huh. um, and he goes on this run beating Scott Lost, Joey Ryan, um, Scott Lost match is really good. Um, Kevin Steen and Roderick Strong. I thought he yeah. had a real great run that year. Um, yeah, and he gets on the microphone, and this is something that he would repeat in in his future appearances in PWG. Uh-huh. So, I, and this is. I wouldn't be in North America if it wasn't for PWG. And it's something that he's been very consistent on when he's mentioning when he's there. He's like, I don't like being here. I don't come here mm-hmm. because I don't like wrestling here and all this stuff. I don't, he doesn't have fun there. Mm-hmm. And PWG is the only place where he feels like he can have fun. And this totally. is definitely goes back to Omega in 2007, 2008 when, um, he talked about it before. Um, he was nearly about to retire or quit from wrestling at that point. Mm-hmm. This is post Deep South. He's already quit from WWE and he just doesn't want to do it anymore. And he says he found enjoyment again wrestling in Jersey All Pro and then later on getting into DDT in 2000. Mm-hmm. And those things kind of save him from packing it in with wrestling. So I think like it's cool or not cool, but like, I think it's like an interesting like case study with this guy mm-hmm. to see that he still clearly has some of these feelings and that it was even pre- that was even present almost 10 years ago. Yeah, and it's it's just it's also interesting that like someone who 10 years ago was very con- very seriously considering retirement and who someone today um states that he doesn't even like wrestling anymore uh is still going at it even harder than before 10 years later. Yeah, and I like those kind of stories. I like the, like this similar to Mustafa Ali and Mustafa Ali, like having a real shot down body. He wasn't like Mm -hmm. breaking out in the indie scene and he was packing it in. And then he gets, and then from how he's told the story, he gets the call from freelance to 
do a show that goes well, he comes mm-hmm. back and it goes well. And next thing you know, he's like working every freelance show and he's a freelance champion. And that, that all happened in like a seventh month, seven month, six month span. Yeah. And, and so then was, immediately he got into the CWC and then got signed. Yeah. So like, it was so, it was it's so crazy. <laughs> it's crazy how like crazy, like someone's life turns around and uh-huh. they're like ready to turn it in. And yeah. yeah. And it's, and it's, I'm glad that happened to Kenny because like, even past just a wrestling point where I think he is happiest as a wrestler in Japan. Um, like he talks about it a lot in these interviews. Like he, he just always wanted to go to Japan as a country to live there. And it's like, you can see it. I, I think he's just, he's most comfortable in that sort of a setting. Um, and I'm glad he didn't end up just moving back to Winnipeg and working a nine to five at some grocery store for the rest of his life. Something I always, uh, think about when it comes to Omega and him committing to Japan is even in the U.S. Indies where he's saying he's not having the best time, he's saying he's not very happy, he's saying that PWG is the only reason why he's here. Mm-hmm. It's like, if this guy wanted it, I feel like this guy could have been the biggest star. Mm-hmm. And even if his style um, took people by, see, took people aback at first, you have to look at like how quickly like, people like really got into him and how quickly people really... <sighs> took to him like when the when the ball got rolling he i don't know how truthful this story is i want to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he wouldn't lie to me uh, but like he he tells the story in the um developmentally speaking episode along with kevin matthews and sammy callahan he tells the story about how he goes to an nwa harley race training camp uh that is overseen by john laurinaitis who was then wwe uh head of talent creations and kito kobachi who, who was representing pro wrestling Noah at the time and he tells a story about how like they got into a playful little fight over saying oh i want to sign this kid no i want to sign this kid no you ah and like that was in 07 or earlier before the fuck i was like 2006 2005 and he is a child then he was, he would have been, you know, five, he would have been, um, I want to say 20 cause he's 10 years older than I am now. Um, and it's like, it's nuts to think about that sort of thing where even as such a young kid, like he did by his own words, he did <laughs> get fought over by WWE and pro wrestling Noah. And you know, even though I don't like the style so much, like it's worked out well for him. And like, well, even if you don't want to believe that, like there is the story of, when he goes to that camp, and keep in mind, Kenny Omega wasn't like properly taught in his own words uh-huh. as to how to be a wrestler. Totally, he said like his training or like his actual trainer just like wasn't the best. So he was watching a lot of footage, a lot of tape to uh-huh. learn and um, see what he can do, and like self, try to translate, uh, yeah, self-taught translate those well, things to the ring. Self, self-proclaimed backyard wrestler as well. You can definitely see that sort of thing in him. Yeah, so for him to be, like, not as polished Uh as a lot of people are. um, And still get that treatment. Or even back then, when they were signing people that definitely weren't polished. um, Yeah. I think the fact that Kenny left such a big impression back then, when he just, like, just didn't know shit. Uh Uh-huh. I thought, like... I'm not saying the guy's a prodigy, but prodigy, but like I, he has to get wrestling on some kind of level, sure. on an execution basis, on a timing basis, <sighs> like that's definitely like very exemplary. Mm-hmm. Where he signed like 
that early on. Yeah, he's a very athletic guy, which is interesting because when you watch him wrestle today, you wouldn't think that his background was hockey. Right. Like he, he doesn't have like what I would imagine a hockey body to be. And that's really interesting to me. Now, I think in some roundabout way, we actually got to why you drifted away from Kenny Omega. <laughs> and I think to answer why I'm still a fan, um, I'm happy for him. You know what I mean? Like Totally, yeah. No, I get it. But like to see a guy that has like publicly been shed on by so many people, um, had to quit WWE um due to uh Bill DeMott and the training going on in Deep South. Uh-huh. Um made his own way in a lane that wasn't that didn't even exist before Kenny Omega created it. Yeah. Um I think the fact that he stayed in DDT and like this is what always annoyed me when people were doing the WWE stuff is that you don't really understand how loyal like Kenny Omega was to DDT. The guy didn't leave until he had literally nothing left to do. And I like the I like that. I like the fact that he didn't bitch, he didn't complain, he didn't go like a whole bunch of different directions he could, at least publicly when it came to having to be a junior and having to sit back for a year and watch AJ Styles do all these things and lead the Bullet Club. Even like even through his own admission, he feels like he always should have been the leader of the Bullet Club. He doesn't like the fact that he did it, but you could say he sucked it up and made the most out of that run as he could. Uh-huh. And to see that guy who whose story just really is one of a kind go and like win the G one and get this big push and main event Wrestle Kingdom and like just be like a complete phenomenon, even in a realm of like, yeah, this guy is like super known, Dave Meltzer, six stars, woo, like cool that's all fine but like the guy's actual draw the guy actually pushes a ton of merch the guy has this being the elite the elite stuff that does ridiculous numbers Mm -hmm. for something that's a non-wwe entity it crushes Uh the competition um of like actual companies like ring of honor and progress and even new japan youtube when it comes to social media numbers like or views on youtube it's fucking ridiculous having his clothing and hot topic and I like his wrestling a lot. I'm not going to act like mm-hmm. I don't. I like him a lot as a what, wrestler. What if you didn't? Exactly. <laughs> like, what if we did this whole podcast? This is because I like him as a person. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like, even if I don't know the guys, like, uh-huh. seeing, like, what he went through publicly that we know of uh-huh. is, like, I can't be nothing but like happy for the guy. And it's like the same reason why I'm happy for the Bucks, even if they can come across as assholes. The same reason totally. why like Steen and Generico, even if they had their um critics that called them jerks or assholes, like I know they're very passionate like let's not let's not try Steen is definitely a jerk. Oh yeah, he is. <laughs> but it's like I know that these people are passionate about wrestling. Uh-huh. So I'm and they're glad good at it and, and they they worked very hard to get to where they are today and they deserve it. And I'm happy that these guys are able to make a living mm-hmm. and yeah. do something and didn't quit. Like the Bucks, like we're on like in the same boat as Kenny Omega, which is part of the reason why the why those group of guys are so close. They it's went crazy. similar situations. It's crazy to think about too. They've just been super tight for years and years and years. Yeah, and those three, those three specific. 
And it's funny looking back on that 2009 bolo where it's like Kenny Omega's trying to have this emotional moment with uh, Kenny, with um, the young Bucks and El Generico, and the Bucks just go back to being like their heel PWG selves at that point. And he's, and it's, uh, it's such an interesting moment too, because he's like cracking gay jokes. And like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm definitely not going to deride him for that. Um, being also a bisexual man, like, I don't know, 2009 was a different time, but it's very, that's a very weird thing to look back on. Yeah, it's like one of those just things be like, like, oh. like 2020 is like. Yeah, yeah. And it's like at that point, I'm pretty sure he would have known what he was like as a person and where his sexuality lied, um, laid. Uh, and he does frame it within the context of a joke, but it's just, it's super weird. 2009, whatever. Um, you're asking me, like, why exactly have I drifted away from Kenny Omega? Um Part of it, as I just mentioned here, part of it's like um, when I was first watching wrestling, when I was 14 years old in like 2008, um, when I like when I was struggling with my faith and um, I wasn't yet what I would describe as a smart person and didn't have a whole lot going for me at home i was like just getting to the point where i was big enough that like my parents couldn't hit me um it is still still a still a gray area there um i was struggling with my sexuality i still hadn't had sex and i didn't know like what i felt about sex and i was i wasn't sure how to feel about guys and like those feelings are a very scary thing for a young kid and living in like suburban indiana in the same way that i'm i'm so sure that it's scary for a young kid living in like a suburb of Winnipeg. Um, like I was sort of femme, but I didn't know what that necessarily meant yet. And Especially I wasn't sure how on, to, in Ome- with Omega's like being in the industry as like, yes. Homophobic Jesus, yes. And closeted as a, Oh yeah. Wrestler. Like he worked. Bill DeMott had to know he was gay. You know what I mean? And like, there is, there is absolutely no way that that was anything close to an appropriate work experience. And like, I can't imagine what that was like. Um, but like, uh, to, to be a young person and to be who I was and to like video games and, and to be into things and to be alienated from everyone I knew and then to watch wrestling and to see someone like Kenny Omega who reflected all of that, um, and did it in such an entertaining and exciting way that was very much, as you stated earlier, very much like unlike how everyone else approaches wrestling. Um, for a young 14 year old me, that was awesome like that was undescribable and um i I do still today even if that's not who i am anymore i do think it's important to have people who are representative of you in wrestling and like i'm glad that kenny was able to be like that for me for for many years but like i'm not like i'm not that same person anymore i'm still gay i'm still like alienated from a lot of people I still have like hardships in my life, but like you can't cross the same river twice. And like, I'm not the same 14 year old kid who crossed that river the first time. And Kenny, while I'm sure he's changed in the 10 years since like is still exhibits a whole lot of those same thoughts and feelings and emotions. And like, it's not something that so much appeals to me anymore because I'm not that same person. I'm glad he does it though. Cause like, I know, I know so many young people who, are like ecstatic that a major title holder in the second biggest promotion in the world is an openly bisexual man. That is fucking amazing. 
And I'm so glad that that's happened. And I know so many people who are, who are like, who are given strength by that. Um, and I'm glad to, I'm glad to sort of count myself in their number in that sense. But like, I, I, I needed, I needed someone like Kenny when I was 14, but at 23, I don't so much need it anymore. And on top of that, like I've, I've just grown as a different person in what I like in professional wrestling, even in the, like, as I mentioned earlier, even in just the last couple of years, um, since I started watching wrestling regularly again in 2014. And when I started to blog in 2015 and when I joined wrestling Twitter in 2016, um, I'm a different person from every one of those dates and I'll continue to be a different person tomorrow and the next day. And like my taste changed so much. Like recently we just went through the G1 climax and like I had, <laughs> we talked about this, you and I, I had a real crisis of faith when I was like, do I not like Tomohiro Ishii anymore? <laughs> and I have no idea what that means that I don't like this, this, this wrestler that I used to fucking love and was like the shining example in a promotion that has grown into something I've disliked. Um, and like that sort of thing happens all the time. And so like over the 10 years, well, it, like nine years that I've known Kenny Omega, like um, I've grown into a different person and he's not what appeals to me anymore. And I think this very much important to note, like what someone means to you at a certain point of time when you first uh -huh. met them. Totally. I think, um, especially like, especially such a formative time. Exactly. Um, one for me that I think, um, is getting like some backlash now is a uh, chance the rapper. And it's like, <laughs> sure. It's weird backlash too. I don't exactly. Know. It's real weird. And it's like, something yeah. where it's like, I get it. Like I was, uh, sophomore. In high school, when Acid Rap came out, I think. Uh -huh. So, like, I get it. And, and I was, I was a sophomore in college. Jesus. So, like, I get it. Like, I like, the, like, I understand what it's like to like hear Acid Rap for the first time and be like so uh -huh. caught off guard by like these wacky cadences and these um voice pitches and yeah. this like energetic young kid who's rapping about not and not just energetic but positive, which is yeah. such a rare thing in rap. Like energetic, um, rapping about um getting suspended from his high school and doing the LSD and do like smoking weed. Like, like I get it. A lot of that for like being so young at that time and being such a formative age, like uh -huh. I get it, but it's also something where it's like those people get older too. Those people have to grow up too. Mm -hmm. And chance the rapper has gotten it where it's like, he's 24 years old. He's not the same 19 year old kid. The guy went through a drug addiction. The guy had a fucking daughter for Christ's sake. Yeah, like he's not gonna be that same dude. And to round that back to Kenny Omega, well, I think um, it's easy to understand, like not liking something. Mm -hmm. And this is what we talked about before. It's like not liking something is fine. You mm -hmm. grow up, you get older, your tastes change, you as a person change, what you look for changes. Mm -hmm. But does that exactly have to like turn into projection toward this person is a uh, bad that I dislike them on such a visceral level that like nah. yeah, like, and that's like something what like the whole basis of this podcast essentially <laughs> is like when you dislike Kenny Omega it's fine no one's gonna I mean, unless you're like a weird I don't very know defensive no person who's like how fucking dare you dislike Kenny Omega the cleaner 
six stars. Like one of those I th- types. I think there's a fair amount of that. But, <laughs> but this but is regardless. between us and I think you sure. know what I mean? like I'm not sure. that type. Totally. So <laughs> when we talk about Kenny Omega, it's like I'm not coming in for at it from the standpoint of like you have to like him. I'm asking like, well, does it have to be like so like spiteful as a lot of it comes out? Mm-hmm. Um No, like you don't as you grow older and you grow away from things. Um, and I hesitate to use the word or phrase like grow out of things or grow up from things because that's very necessarily uh, negative. I think that has a very negative connotation. Um, but when you just grow away from something, um, you don't necessarily have to hate it. And it's interesting. Cause like, I don't, I don't know if there's a whole lot of, examples in my life of something that I've grown away from that I also came to dislike or even hate. Um, maybe some Christian music because when, <laughs> when you're a young person and you're also uh, a believer, you tend to <laughs> get really into uh, Christian media uh, books and film and music. Um, and a lot of that stuff is sort of half baked and uh, obviously very preachy and it's not, always comparative in quality to the secular uh entertainment world and so like a lot of that like christian music especially i don't listen to it anymore but at the same time like there's there's someone like rich mullins who uh exclusively does worship music and i still listen to because like there's something in it there for me um even though like i i don't know if i believe in god anymore and and he's singing exclusively about (laughs) believing in god but at the same time i still enjoy so much of his music. So like outside of Kenny, I'm not sure if there's a whole lot of things or a whole lot of like examples in my life of like growing away from something and specifically disliking it. And I think like, as we mentioned earlier, like I think with Kenny, it's like, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's like how he publicly talks about how he wants to change this thing that I still like and that I think he does a, that he does, I don't want to say poorly, but does in it in a way differently than I actually enjoy. Um, maybe it's as something we've talked before with the AJ Styles podcast. Maybe it's the hype. Maybe it's like seeing his. Here's here's a good example. Um, I'm a big film guy, and I hate the Oscars. I think the Oscars are not representative of what I enjoy in film. What most people enjoy in film. Uh, what most people should enjoy in film, which is a very different thing from that previous thing. Uh, and unlike Kenny Omega, I think it definitely also has like a more nefarious underside of it that I think is um, something that should be well known and something that should be disliked. So I don't like the Oscars, but I'm not going out here doing podcasts about how much I dislike the Oscars. I don't talk about the Oscars much. I might talk about it when it's Oscars season and people are talking about it on Twitter or I see headlines about it or something. Um, with Kenny Omega, it's always Oscar season. I have to see people talk about him at length, both positively and negatively, uh, every single day in my life because I've chosen to be someone who talks about and writes about and podcasts about and thinks about wrestling on the internet. And whether it's Facebook or Twitter or forums or our Slack chat or like anywhere, I have to see people talking about Kenny Omega. And like, maybe that's part of it is that like, not only have I grown away from this person, but I have to watch the entire world um, grow to love them and say that they're the best thing ever, which sort of like it breeds doubt within me 
on one on one hand and on the other hand it makes me like double down harder i guess make you more um, resentful yeah because it's like i don't know like there's a lot of feelings there part of that feeling is like holy shit guys he was good eight years ago where were you um which is a really hipster thing to do that i don't like i don't like to do um but like, but like, but, just... but like it's also a hipster thing to be like when they get big to not like their new I know. Stuff. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. And I try to avoid that so much. But like, ugh. we'll talk about more about that later too. Specifically with like what he has done in New Japan and how it compares. Um, I think it's funny that you said for Kenny Omega, it's always Oscar season, and like the Oscars are an institution. Like it's a big mm-hmm. deal. It's a committee. So uh-huh. I feel like making Kenny Omega the Oscars when he's like one person. Um, is giving him a whole bunch of responsibility. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to say he's the Oscars committee, no, but he is. No, what, he, I, what I meant to say is that obviously where he's getting this praise, uh, where he's working, I would say that more relates to your feelings on New Japan. Sure. Like I feel like in that, I feel like in that scenario, New Japan is the Oscars because every big match, every night, every big show, it's always yeah. we're going to have the match of the year. Yeah. So like I think the Oscars in New Japan is probably like the more apt comparison there. And maybe Kenny's, I don't know, who hosts the Oscars a lot? Seth MacFarlane? Would I don't even know the, anymore. Would he host the Oscars or would he be like the he's guy? He's done it. I'm pretty, pretty sure know, he's done it a couple you know, times. I was saying, like, would Omega be the guy that hosts the Oscars or would he be the guy uh, that's Oscar bait? No, yeah, he's he's Meryl Streep in this case. All right, then. <laughs> <laughs> he's the person who's in every fucking Oscars, regardless of the performance. And I'm gonna, I hope I, 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 I hope like it... I hope I get more hate from that Meryl Streep comment than anything. <laughs> Do you not like Meryl Streep? No, I, I'm fine with her, but I think I would like to get more hate mail from that sort of thing than anything else I say <laughs> like, on, this like, on this podcast. Like, you, know, you, know, you can say whatever you want about Kenny Omega being a dick, but how fucking dare you talk about <laughs> Meryl Streep? Street. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the New Japan thing is something that we've had conversations about. Uh-huh. Is like when it comes to like your feelings about Okada. And, like, a lot of it being projected on him, your feelings on current New Japan. And, like, I get it. We've had this conversation before about, like, yes. when someone is pushed very hard and they're, like, the vessel for the promotion's vision, uh-huh. then, like, uh-huh. it's easy to, like, attack them. Like, uh-huh. they're the problem. Like, they're the cause. And I think, like, I have a problem with viewing wrestling that way, especially when as us as fans know. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying we know everything. We obviously don't. But... When we know that there's someone behind the scenes who is writing the storylines, who's picking who's going to get pushed, I always have a problem with, like, going, like, you motherfucker, you're the reason why this style is like this. You're the reason why I hate this booking. It's like, like, we know. Like, we know better. Yeah. And I just, like, don't like having that, having to play that game. Totally, totally. So to get into the matches, um, and now we're plus into this podcast. Oh, boy. Um, in a different way from the AJ Styles podcast, where Brock picked one, I mean, five good matches and five bad matches, he's actually just narrowing it down to five that blend into both. Uh huh. And I'm gonna just pick my five good matches. But Brock, what was, what exactly were you looking for when you were just choosing these five matches? Well, to be quite honest, it was actually sort of hard to pick five matches that I thought were. Uh, still all that good though i i want to say like good in a very specific sort of way um good in a way that i could also highlight how like 
here today when I feel these sorts of things here in August of 2017, um, what I used to find good is not so good for me anymore. Uh, and it was actually sort of hard to pinpoint some of these. Um, Would it be the first, it like hard to like revisit and acknowledge, and like, I guess in a way, like re like acknowledge like, yeah, I used to really like this kind of stuff. No, no, it was, it was actually super easy to do that. It was actually hard to just find five matches that I think I still liked. Right. Um, within this style. And I, I specifically wanted to not touch his current run on new Japan. Yeah, we made that, we made that point that we're just going to not touch on the, on the most recent new Japan stuff. And we're just going to touch on yeah. that in a separate segment. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a whole other can of worms. Um, but I specifically wanted to find matches here that I felt highlighted both uh, what I used to really like about Kenny Omega, what I still to some degree like about him and what I also today dislike. Uh, the first of which was something I brought up earlier, that uh, Champion of Anywhere match, which is the earliest match on my list here. Um, pardon me, it's a false coming anywhere match with Mike Angels. In it starts in Kenny's um, cabin. He stated in some interview, he stated that it was his cabin in what I assume to be somewhere around Winnipeg. Um, and it's just a real fun little like setting based comedy match. He specifically in that. Uh, I guess it was the Catch Me If You Can interview. He specifically states that he wanted to replicate some Jackie Chan in there. And I'm a huge Jackie Chan fan. And I can definitely see it, especially when they're fighting indoors in the kitchen. And they're, like, opening uh, refrigerator doors and slamming them in their faces and things like that. Um, and he just has this big, goofy match that is really fun and lighthearted. And it, it, doesn't take itself, it doesn't take itself too seriously, despite the fact that, like, a man in kayfabe dies in the match. And... Um, it's, it's really lighthearted and I, I enjoy it for that. It's, it's something that I could just throw out anytime. It's not too long. I think it's like eight, nine minutes maybe. Um, and it's, uh, it's fun. I like it a lot. Why I've sort of grown to dislike it returns back to that catch me if you can interview. Um, and when she has a specific quote and I'll read it off here, quote, for people that have like no patience for like watching wrestling and just want to get to the point, I want it to be friendly for those fans. And like, because that video is successful, that sort of changed the entire way I put together matches and thought about wrestling, end quote. And uh, I think that really gets to the heart of like what I've grown to dislike about Kenny. And this is something um, we'll talk about more with the New Japan segment. Uh, he takes the sort of comedic approach that he has here and applies it to quote unquote serious wrestling. And some of that sort of bothers me and we're not going to see that a whole lot in these matches except for one. Um, but it's, it, it, it's, I don't know. It's, I really like comedy wrestling. Um, for God's sakes, Chuck Taylor is my favorite wrestler. <laughs> I can't not like comedy wrestling, but like it, I don't know. I feel sort of strongly about how it's delineated and how it's utilized within wrestling. Um, it's real trope heavy. Like there's certain things that I wish I'd never fucking seen in comedy wrestling anymore. Like goddamn dance offs that I saw. I, I recently caught up on a whole lot of AEW this year. And I swear to God, there were multiple shows in a row where there were multiple dance offs in it was, multiple it was, it was matches. Worse. It was even worse last year. It's, ah, oh, I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> um, and so like there's things in comedy wrestling that I just like, but for the most part, I'm really, I'm really into it. But like, I'm, I don't know. I'm really, I'm really particular about how it bleeds into other wrestling. And one way that it does, I think is in this match that uh, 
we were supposed to record. Well, we st- we're recording real late on uh, Friday night as it bled into Saturday, and we have now missed the fifth anniversary of this match. But um, I wanted to talk about Kenny Omega versus Kota Ibushi, the very famous match from uh, DDT's Nippon Budokan Peter Pan 2012. Before you get, before you get into that, um, I wanted to touch on your Kenny Omega sure. bleeding comedy into serious wrestling thing. Sure. Um, I'm not exactly sure um, where you think comedy has bled into it. Sure, now, we'll, be, we'll talk about it more. I, yeah. I was thinking, like, in general, maybe you could think that Kenny looks funny when he's doing things, but I'm not sure exactly of, how you... Could, that. How, like, he's he did the same thing in DDT, where he went from super yes. serious, com, like, super serious guy to comedy wrestler and back and forth without a lot of bleeding in. Mm-hmm. And I think he does the same thing in New Japan, but in a different way. Obviously, wearing the house show tights and doing more stooge bumping and being more outlandish. And then when it's, quote-unquote, like, serious big match time, he has a completely different attire. So mm-hmm. yeah. I was wondering, like, where you, like, how you could say, like, the comedy bleeds into his serious matches. Part of that is, like, um, part of that's just difficult to talk about here when we're recording over Skype 400 miles away from each other. And to counteract that, I think I'm going to bring this up now. So hopefully six months down the line, someone jabs me in the ribs and is like, where the fuck is this video? And I'll actually get it done. Part of this, I wanted to address in like a video in which I do literally side by side compare, uh, how Kenny executes moves and how he utilizes facials and body language and things like that in his comedy wrestling versus in his quote unquote serious wrestling. Um, that's really where it comes from. It's not in DDT, as you mentioned, like he flips back and forth in between different matches or sometimes within the same match. And in, and in a place like DDT, I think that's very, um, it's both commonplace and it's accepted. And I like it there, uh, because it's, it's a very lighthearted promotion. It's very comedy oriented promotion. It's a promotion that tries to do, uh, non-traditional sort of wrestling, but where you go somewhere like, New Japan, where um, it's a promotion I like a lot, actually. I don't talk about that much. Aside from, like, CCW, Dragon Gate, PWG, New Japan, historically, is probably my favorite promotion. Like, it's definitely top five for me. It's something I love. It's where a lot of wrestlers that I've loved have had their careers. It's where, like, hard-nosed, no-nonsense guys like Shinya Hashimoto and uh, Kazunari Murakami and Yoshihiro Takayama, like, made their names. Um, and so I have like strong due to like the, the careers of those sorts of men, men, uh, and due to like the way that the promotion was just for so very long, I have like sort of strong opinions on like how I think New Japan should be presented and how their matches should sort of work. Uh, and as that has changed with the Bushi Road administration, uh, I've had a lot of, um, a lot of frustration with them and how they approach things. And so with comedy, with, with Kenny, um, with him utilizing like these super over the top facials that in DDT would be utilized as a joke are now being played straight. It's sort of like, um, it gives me like a whole lot of like tonal dissonance, which is a phrase that I'm surprised I haven't brought up before in this podcast. I thought I was going to use it a lot. Um, it, it doesn't work tonally for me, like because he's not doing anything differently 
than he was doing in DDT. And whereas in DDT, it was done for a joke. Now I'm supposed to take it seriously. And it's like, I, I don't feel that. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, but when you say that he isn't doing anything differently, he's using the facial expressions differently, though. Obviously, in DDT, you're thinking that they weren't as blended together as it was um, there. You, I'm, I'm assuming that you're saying that in DDT, when he's wrestling in a main event setting, that he's hmm. more toned down on the facial expressions, that he's not... I don't think he out. is. I think that's, he is. I think he's still doing. I think in DDT is. I've got two DDT main events here that I do want to talk about. Uh, I think he is using those like outlandish facial expressions and using them in what are supposed to be serious wrestling matches, but they're the same sorts of things that he uses in comedy wrestling, and they still appear to be comedic to me, just based on like execution. Which obviously that's something that's going to differ between people. Everyone. Um, everyone reacts to a big emotional outburst in different ways. Um, and so the things that in DDT I would have seen as like a comedic moment and something I laughed at are now being reflected in what is meant to be a big Tokyo Dome main event. And again, like that kind of like even like confused me more because what you, because what you were saying again, like uh-huh. how it sounded is that you were saying that you thought there was a separation in how he used his facial expressions in a comedy match and in a serious match in DDT. Oh, well, no, it's... That's how the entire thing sounded. There's a separation in his intent, but not in his execution. Okay, so do you think his execution is a problem in New Japan? Because yeah, when totally. you say that he's not doing anything differently, obviously he's using the facial expressions in a different setting, which is a different a... use. Uh, okay. No. Yeah. You're, you're strictly right with that wording. Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm sorry for wording that in a confusing way, but like, yeah, I would, I would, the intent is an important factor here for me. Like it's, you like Louis CK? Yeah. Real funny guy. Um, honestly, one of the funniest people on the planet currently, uh, may or may not be a sexual predator, but that is a different conversation for a different day. Uh, I really like him as a comedian. I think he's very funny. Uh, he's put together some of my favorite, uh, television ever with both Louis and with Horace and Pete. Um, and recently he's been cast in, um, some non comedic, more traditional Hollywood films like, uh, American hustle and blue Jasmine and Trumbo. Um, and in them, he's just playing Louis CK, despite the fact that these films are, set in um wildly different settings uh not just in not just like in tone but in 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 time and place um and to see louis ck just like pardon me louis ck just like louis ck'ing it up in a story about like fbi sting operations or uh a woman losing her grasp on reality or um the red scare within hollywood it it's it's the tonal dissonance again it's like i like what you're doing here and i've found it enjoyable in the past but the the way in which it's used in this situation it doesn't work and i think with kenny in these serious matches he's he's applying the same things that have worked in the past for comedy wrestling in which i think he's really good uh he's a real fun comedy wrestler um 
but now I'm supposed to take it seriously, and I don't. How do you feel about guys like um, Seth Rogen, Jonah Hill, James Franco, like the, like that bunch of guys? Because obviously, I... like they started off doing a whole bunch of uh, <coughs> silly um, bro comedy that, like mm-hmm. you know, you could take uh-huh. on um, whatever you want to take, like very base level stuff. And then eventually, as these guys get older, they're getting put in different roles, higher profile roles, more serious roles. And wanting to do more serious roles, too. That's an important thing. It's it's that intent, again. Um, I hate <laughs> I hate that I get compared to Seth Rogen so much because we sort of look similar. Um, I don't necessarily have strong opinions on the guys, but like you're totally getting at the same sort of idea that I'm trying to, to reflect here, I think, in that like funny guys who who excel in funny comedies in in comedic moments but like um i don't really have a ton of experience in jonah hill's serious stuff but i've seen plenty from james franco and a little less from seth rogan and it it just doesn't it doesn't click the same way it's not to say i haven't seen moneyball no i don't i don't really like sports movies much i'm not sure it's exactly a sports movie since it's like not like the real stereotypical Sure, like totally. football, gridiron game kind of stuff. It's like uh-huh. definitely more focused on the business aspect. Mm-hmm. I hear it's real good, and I like Brad Pitt, but I haven't seen it. And it's not it, like it's not to say you can't do both comedy and serious wrestling well. Um, I think it's like something we've touched on before. Like, like in general, you just seem like a person that doesn't like gray area. Yeah, that's. I, I did want to bring this up. You brought up an illuminating point the other day. Um, I don't even remember what it was in reference to, but you called me out and was like, you're just a person who likes well-defined things. You don't like something that's sort of like in the middle point between um, a small, intimate little wrestling match and like the most big bombastic oh, spectacle. Yeah. Okay. I remember it was, um, we were talking about um, wrestling and wrestling being on television and it somehow like transformed <laughs> into that. Somehow we got on that tangent. Yeah. Um, but you're totally right in that, like, uh, I do really enjoy well-defined things. I do, I do know, or I do like knowing what I'm getting into when I see a certain thing. Um, and that definitely does translate to wrestling. And I don't know if I, if I'd say that, like, I only strictly like Kenny Omega as a comedy wrestler. There's at least one match here that is done completely straight that I really do enjoy. Um, so I would. I would like to point to say that no, I think he does do um, serious stuff well, but it's I don't know. I wish he'd change it up a little more. You know what I mean? And this is definitely more suited to the New Japan discussion. Mm-hmm. Like because New Japan is the way it is, and where like a lot of the comedy remains on the undercard. Sure. And, once sure, sure. and which is the, which is the case for a lot of Japanese wrestling other than DDT. Yeah. Um is that the more comedic or silly stuff is in the undercard. Mm-hmm. So, um... Well, okay. I think one thing you might be getting hung up on is that I'm saying he's doing these things that are comedic. Um, well, I, I sort of brought it up earlier. It's not his intent that they're supposed to be comedic. And I don't think anyone other than me and a cadre of people like me see them as comedic. Right. M- most people, Most people really buy into that sort of shit. Uh, and I don't mean to say shit as a derogatory thing there. I just, it's a placeholder word. Um, most people are really into that sort of thing and find it to be uh, emotional and exciting. Um, but it, 
I don't know, it comes across as hokey to me. I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna take it that way. I was saying oh, like in okay. general in Japanese wrestling there is a clear separation. Uh-huh, and because totally. this guy is in a promotion that you historically really, really like, that had a, a real serious tone uh-huh. to its wrestling, that because you know this guy from prior stuff and even stuff that he was doing um, a year or two before as a cleaner, uh-huh. like, he's still very much fresh as a comedy guy in your mind. Yeah, like, I don't... Um... I'm trying to think about people who who made the switch for me, um, because even people like Chuck Taylor, who we've brought up multiple times here, uh, he has serious wrestling, and in like that Zack Super Junior match we were talking about, we both really like that, and it's serious wrestling. Um, and I think he did well in it, but at the same time, I most certainly describe him primarily as a comedy wrestler, and I don't know how many people that I would say are able to do both super well. Um, there, there are a lot of people in Japanese wrestling, as you're saying, who they like to delineate that. We see stuff like um, Mitsuhara Masawa dressing up as Santa for so many years. Or even like you know, the big, big Japan and DDT are like real famous for this. Like totally, like Poseidon, yeah. like Poseidon death matches and the beard uh-huh. and stuff. Like guys like um, Yuji Okabayashi and Daisuke Sekimoto are like real big, tough, burly, bar- barrel-chested dudes yeah. who can. Dress up like um, Okabashi can dress up as a fucking baby, and uh-huh. it was like the funniest thing in the world. Like, so I think um, I think a lot of Japanese wrestling is that way. Yeah, and like I'm not sure how you feel about. I don't think you like are like as hard on those guys. I'm not. I'm not sure. No, I'm not. Like I'm. I'm totally not. And maybe it's because I think that they're better at it, or maybe it's just because I've got a hate boner for Kenny Omega. It's hard to tell. So to move on back to the Kyoto Bushi uh, Ippon Budokan match you wanted to talk about, which I think I'm not even sure I ever really liked this match. Yeah, you you brought that up with me when I I think I first talked about wanting to watch this, um, and I understand why it's sort of a meandering match. Um, it has a lot of like bad tropes that I really dislike. My like, exact, my, I think my exact wording was like it was like the worst possible version of a dream game match. Totally. Like it goes 37 minutes and has some like, it's like, it was like literally does not mean anything at all. <laughs> yep. Uh, and yet the people love it. Uh, I, I, oh, yeah. I, yeah. Gotta give them that. Especially it's DDT's biggest show ever up to that point. Um, which again, I think is something we'll talk more about Kenny Omega when it comes to like his historical standing is that deceptively mm-hmm. he's done a lot of shit in his time. Mm-hmm. In Japan. It's, um, something that made the rounds on Twitter that you did a few months ago around the time of Dominion uh-huh. um, of him like being one of 17 guys, I believe it was. I think it was less than that. I want to say it was like 11. Yeah. Some, yeah. Um, Kenny Omega is one of the only guys that's ever main invented the Tokyo Dome, um, Budokan Hall, Sumo Hall, and Osaka Joe Hall. Mm-hmm. Which, which is, is like, sort of, sort of a deceptive thing because a couple of those have either not been used for wrestling in many years or have rarely been used for wrestling historically but at the same time big big important venues and he shares that he shares that that, people you wouldn't expect him to be in the same breath as like Noyo Ogawa and Stan Hansen and Shinya Hashimoto Mm -hmm. and um I think Masakatsu Funaki like Uh like names like that Vader like you wouldn't expect to put Kenny Omega 
in that same um, breath as like a star, as a draw. And maybe mm-hmm. he isn't because that's a different era, but that's like a different discussion for another time. And like how now for like 2017, like Kenny Omega is like as big as you can get. So totally. it's like actually a real incredible, like historical feat that he's had, that he has. Mm-hmm. And and it's, it's kind of surreal to see him and Kota Ibushi do a whole bunch of mindless dumb spots in a, in a quarter full Budokan, but it's fun. It's also super fun. Also, like, I think they also got banned. From yes. Budokan for a lot of this. Because Abushi did a moonsault off of the, uh, like the overhead. Because like Budokan's got like the, the ground floor seating and then has got a, a, a higher tier of seating. Well, yeah, I think it was um, a lot of, like, because, um, when All Japan and, and um, Noah were running there, like, obviously those promotions aren't like going out into the crowd and doing a whole bunch of shit like that. So, like, people wouldn't, like, exactly notice it uh-huh. when they're watching those shows because they're not, like, taking the wrestling over there. Sure. So when Kota Ibushi and Kenny Omega do it, for the first time I think I thought like, wait, what the fuck? Like what they have this here? Like this is like this high up? Like, oh my God. It is, yeah, it is pretty high. It's a real fun little moonsault he does. Uh and it got him banned for life from or it got at least Ibushi banned. Might be just Ibushi. Yeah, I was wondering like when like when I first heard that like, was it Ibushi that just got banned or like Kenny Omega like because he, Abushi's the one that does it. Yes, of course. So it's Kenny, like... Kenny, Kenny's a smart guy. He's not doing that stupid ass moon song. Code Abushi, very dumb. But, guy. but yeah, but they do. A smart guy and a dumb guy do dumb things for thirty-seven minutes. And if I just recognize it as a dumb thing, it's fun. It's a lot of fun to watch. Um, they do some really cool spots. Uh, they have some real big overly dramatic facials that are that if you're not thinking too hard or fun to watch um i think a lot of ddt like the big peter pan stuff like always is just like uh i don't know like, like i like the main event last year with ishikawa mm-hmm. versus takashita i thought that was really well done but, yeah like i didn't really like um sakaguchi versus uh kudo, you kudo don't like from that? 2015 I thought the crowd was absolutely like oh, terrible for that match. Totally, crowd was dead for it. But I really the, the I really work was fine. It. But it's like, man, when like the crowd yeah. is like so clearly just uninterested in your biggest show of the year's main event, I'm like, well, they they oh, always do that's like r- that's rough though. They always do weird things with Peter Pan too. Like Irie was headlining Peter Pan once, which I thought was sort of weird. Like in 2013, maybe like it was yeah, a while it was ago against Tarashima. Probably. Him, it was him or Ibushi. It's one of the two, I think. Um, yeah, historically, Peter Pan is a weird show, but uh, that's a that's a different discussion right. for a different time. Um, uh, I feel like I can't avoid it too long talking about Kenny Omega and PWG, so I'm going to then bounce next to his match with Brian Danielson from PWG's 100th show in uh, April of 2009. Um, this is a fun match because very famous match, very famous match too. Yeah, um, Danielson for a long time was like typecast as like this real no nonsense guy, uh, this guy who like, didn't have absolutely it's so dumb. It's so dumb to look Not at true at all. <laughs> and even even in the moment, like I know, like I have I have friends who who could from memory recite the date of every single ROH show ever and bought every single show ever. Um, even in the moment, a lot of people were like, no, this is a dumb narrative. But for so long, people thought like Dinoson was like, oh, no charisma. He hates the funny stuff. Is uh, There's no life in the guy. But here. He can't talk. 
Like that was one. That was one. Can't that's talk like, either. Yeah, so dumb. He has, he has great promos when he's saying like simple things and and not doing twenty minute raw opening promos. Um, but here he's going up against a very young Omega who has gotten red fucking hot in the PWG crowd super quickly too. So like quickly. maybe the like like just like the quickest ascension. Like I in could, yeah. I mean, yeah. In like three or four or five months, he became the most over guy in the promotion. In a time in which Chris Hero, Brian Danielson, a lot, like it's a, et cetera, like it's, it's a loaded, still working loaded roster. It's it's real funny. Um, but Danielson like tries to go after the dude's arm and plays it straight, and Kenny does the weird thing that sort of makes sense in <laughs> theory, I guess, but I think in that's execution. The, I think that's the point. But he, like you would think it makes sense. Like he's like doing this elbow pad shit. It like, doesn't. It's, I think that's the point. <laughs> I guess. I guess so. But Danielson like stomps on his arm, and Kenny like pulls off his right elbow pad and puts it over the left to give him more protection on this arm that was just stomped on. And then Danielson stomps on it again, and Kenny takes one of his knee pads off and puts it on. And now with with three he's elbow pads, he is he is he is immune to all of Brian Danielson's attacks and. They play with that story for a little while, and they move on to, to other funny things. They, they pretty much Danielson like just kicks his ass, and then totally. like at like near like near the end, Omega's like out of desperation. He's like, "Wait, I got this!" And they do this whole dumb John Jingleheimer Schmidt thing, and goes for the roll yeah. up. It's like it's like Kenny Omega like only has like this last option, and then Danielson's yeah. like, "Wait, I thought we were doing this." It runs through like dumb playground bullshit. Like they have a um, the spot that never ends spot and the John Jingle John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt shit, uh, which is it's stupid. And there's a whole lot of flip flopping back and forth between like the regular wrestling and the comedy wrestling. Which and I, think, it, I remember Tim um, from Lucha on to get on Lucha Undead this week in wrestling has like made this point about Kenny Omega before is that like he's kind of the father of that PWG style of like doing comedy doing uh-huh. serious stuff and like going back and forth and like how you it's, feel how you feel about it is like a different like conversation but like he was the guy that was like doing that style it's him and like el generico yeah um which is interesting because el generico in the years since i've fallen out of favor with kenny omega has replaced him in that spot of like my fifth favorite wrestler ever and i think el generico is someone who pulls off um that sort of shtick way better than Kenny. And we'll talk about it later because I've got a I've got a generico match on this list. Um but yeah, this Danielson like it's it's a stupid match, but it's also fun because when they're doing the regular wrestling, uh they're actually real good at it. Like they they work together pretty yeah, you, well. Oh yeah, it's like definitely one of those matches that like you wish actually had like a real um serious match almost. Could you know uh-huh. Danielson is like an all time great. Because they had they Omega's had that like so young and full of energy. Like they could have done uh, something like real good together. They had a real good three way. Uh it just sucks that Tyler Black oh, had yeah, to be. Yeah, I watched that match not, um, not too long ago. <laughs> I haven't seen it in many years. Uh I should probably revisit it. Um but yeah, like it's the good stuff is good, the funny stuff is funny. It's um it's non diegetic, which is like it's like a philosophy term, but I I've mostly seen it used in theater. Um where where like uh, some of this stuff doesn't feel like it's actually happening within the realm of kayfabe. Like some of it's some of it's just like for show, or if it, or if it's it's a thematic thing. Like in the same way that like people don't actually break out into song and dance in most musicals. Um, but like again, as with the Nippon Budokan match, like 
if you're not thinking too hard, it's uh, it's a delightful time. And what's the next match you have uh, for Which Omega? <laughs> okay. Uh, how should I do this? I'll do this one next. Uh, I, I brought up El Generico earlier, and we'll return to DDT to when Kenny Omega took on El Generico for DDT's KOD Openweight Championship, the top title, on DDT Nevermind 2012, the last big show of the year, uh, in my favorite venue ever, Cork and Hall. Um, and this was one, uh, I picked this pretty early in my process because I was like, I looked at I looked at the match and I'd seen it before. I'd, saw, I'd seen it years before. I don't remember much about it, but I'd seen it years before. And I looked at these two and I was like, they're probably going to do some stupid stuff that I dislike, but it's probably going to be a fun match. So I put it on my list and I put it off uh, to watch it for last out of all five of these matches. And then I watched it and I was like, holy shit. Kenny's actually having a serious match and he's doing the same sorts of like facials and execution that I find comedic in comedic matches. But here I buy into it and like, I can't really put my finger on it. Part of me wants to point to Generico because I think Generico is such a strong force as like the greatest baby face ever. And someone who is, I think infinitely watchable, but I don't want to put it all on him. Um, it takes two to tango in any match. And like, they just go out there and they have like a kick ass, um, a kick ass serious match that like you would think would fall prey to a lot of the tropes that these two have and these sorts of matches have, but like they keep it tight. They don't go overboard and it's just, it's a barrel of fun. Oh uh, yeah. Um, I love that, ma- that, that match a lot. And a lot of what goes into that is the whole like Kenny Omega, El Generico, Kota Ibushi story yes. that's going on in 2012 uh-huh. where El Generico beat Kota Ibushi three separate times and Kenny Omega loses to Kota Ibushi at the biggest show of the year. El Generico beats Kota Ibushi for the title. So Kenny Omega is real pissed off mm-hmm. coming into this match. You can't be the Canadian who beats Ibushi. I gotta be him. And it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's like really... If you wanted really... to like do even more with it, obviously, Omega and, Gen- Omega and Generico have history going back to PWG. And like it, he must have burned him up to see Generico take his spot. Yep. So, yeah, I like that match a lot. I was surprised that you thought going in that it would have been like a real whole bunch of crazy shit match. Well, I mean, just like think I know, about I know, it. Like, I know, like there's the thing. It's like there's different <laughs> between like on paper and then like uh, how you remember the match though. Totally, like you said totally, you liked totally. it before, so I was surprised that you said, "Oh, this probably was a whole bunch of dumb shit." <laughs> well, it's just you know, I saw I saw that Kenny Omega name and I was like, okay, unless he's wrestling Tim Thatcher, it's probably going to do dumb shit. And then I saw a name that wasn't Tim Thatcher and I was like, hmm. Mm. <laughs> it's gonna be dumb shit, but it wasn't. It was great. Are we acting like LJ Arco doesn't do a whole bunch of dumb shit? <laughs> no, I'm saying he does do oh, a whole okay. bunch of dumb shit. <laughs> no, but you said it was like anyone that's not Thatcher. Sure. Yeah. Um. So was that your fourth or third match? That was my fourth. The okay. last one I want to talk about. I completely forgot yeah. what your last one is at this point. <laughs> uh, it was another one that's probably even more famous for being a big comedy schmoz than the Danielson match. It's Kenny Omega taking on ACH in oh, the 2014 yeah, Battle of Los Angeles. Uh, <laughs> this one features another trope that I despise. Uh, Attitude Arrow wanking in cosplay. Um, in which for an extended period of time, <laughs> ACH turns into Stone Cold Steve Austin. And Kenny Omega does a not terrible impression of The Rock. It's pretty good. Like It's pretty good. He's got the, he's got the punches down pat. 
remember Excalibur um, like making note of that on commentary. I'm like, those are pretty good rock punches. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was either Excalibur or Chuck. Yeah. I think it was both of them. They were just both talking about it, I guess. Um, and that's the big, like, infamous or famous or memorable part of the match. And granted, it's um, a big chunk of this 23-minute like, runtime or something. But, like, on top of that, there's a lot of, like, really good just serious wrestling here. Oh, yeah, it gets forgotten because that um, that part of lot- the match is, like, so... It went, it went viral. It has a lot of views on YouTube right now. Crowd loses their goddamn mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, a comes whole bunch of on the mat and applause. Like, crowd loses it. Like, <laughs> but I'm glad that you mentioned it. Like, the match itself is, like, real good. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a whole lot of just, like, Kenny putting the boots to oh, yeah, ACH. He's like, he's, like, beating the hell out of him. Yeah, and it's it's way better than you'd think it'd be. ACH ACH is sort of like similar to Kenny, I think. Um, funny, the date that uh, the Nippon Budokan match happened, I was in Indianapolis watching ACH for the first time, having the best match I've ever seen live uh, against uh, Mr. Touchdown, Mark Angelicetti, and Chikara. Um, and since then, I've been a big ACH fan, though, I mean, he exhibits a lot of the same flaws that I dislike in someone like Kenny. Uh, just maybe a little less so, but he here he hasn't been putting in as many like big big spots as Kenny. Part yeah, part of that is like just because he's not. Yeah, so you haven't, you haven't been exposed to like yeah, but even way. even when he's having like a a tournament semifinals match against Zack Saber Jr., he brings it. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's a good he's a good wrestler. Um, and like they both cancel out their they sort of cancel out their worst flaws by highlighting them as hard as they fucking can here, <laughs> and uh, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. While also thinking that <laughs> the attitude cosplay, or the attitude era cosplay is stupid. What do you hate more? That or like. Oh, um, dance offs. No, Definitely. It <laughs> wasn't, da- wasn't dance offs. It wasn't dance offs. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyone that's like, that has like an, ex- and that has an, um, a connection to NXT in some sort of way doing a pedigree. Oh my God. It's the pedigrees. That's just so much worse. I like I I can't fucking deal with them anymore. <laughs> like they're so bad and so. You brought up something earlier that like D, you described DDT's comedy as self-aware, which it totally is. Um, and, and self-aware is one of those terms that I think can be used either positively or negatively. Um, and more often than not, I think I'd use it negatively. And that's one way that I'd use it negatively is that like, I hate people who are like, oh yeah, we've got this spot. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to do this WWE guys move. And it's going to be, it's going to be the guy who married the boss's daughter. And it's, and it's, shh, come here, come closer. It's, it's going to be really funny and everyone's going to really like it. And, and and everyone's gonna pop and and maybe maybe chant Paul and and maybe they're gonna follow it up with an all hail and it's a fucking despise that <laughs> I hate it so much it's ah uh, it's shorthand for like not wanting to do wrestling yeah and like I hate it <laughs> and that's not what all comedy wrestling is I think a whole lot of comedy wrestling is like very well thought out and put together and it takes. It takes skill to have comedic timing in wrestling. Like that's that's a fucking skill. It is so easy to fuck that sort of thing up. And I think things like dance spots and um, pedigrees and to to like 
Fairfax to Chuck Taylor, I'm going to drag him a little bit here. Things like the slow-mo spots. I think those are super overdone as well and, and just don't make any sense whatsoever. Um, not that it has to make sense, but I don't know. I like it when it does. Uh, to dive into the matches that I picked, um, again, just to reiterate, we chose to stay away from the bigger New Japan, New Japan. main event stuff. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, I've said it before on podcast here. Like, I think Okada Omega Two like Dominion's like the best match ever, or my favorite match. I like however you, however way you want to phrase that. Like, sure. So like there'd, gonna, be no, there'd, be, there'd be no point. Like, we're going to talk about that for six hours come January anyway. So There's like no point. I'm kind of bored of talking about those matches anyway, so I might just thank them and do it. Thank God. You thought. <laughs> oh. I thought. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the first match actually comes off of what at the time and probably still is. Kenny, the be- biggest match of Kenny Omega's career. And this is Kenny Omega versus Tiger Ali at 4FW. And this is, I want to say, two or three weeks after the big Wrestle Kingdom main event with Okada. This year, yeah. It's mm-hmm. January 21st of this year. Um, yeah. And you can you can fucking tell it because the crowd is chanting, best in the world, six stars. Um, they, they, they are pretty much worshipping the ground Kenny Omega walks on here. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a little much. I think the people of England need to fucking tone it down a little. <laughs> this it's, was a big. Uh, this was a big deal, though. It was a big deal because, like, the context is that Cody was supposed to be the one wrestling, and I think Cody had pulled out, Thank and God. then as a replacement, they got Kenny Omega. Oh no, which is saw. like, which is like, Kenny Omega obviously just doesn't do that much wrestling outside of Japan, uh-huh. and. This was a very big deal, and it's, probably um, definitely man, like, might be a, might be a reason as to why they had a had that big UK tour later on. Sure, in the year. sure. Outside of like outside of like Brock Lesnar, there is not a person in the world who is more widely praised who does less wrestling than Kenny Omega. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a pretty fair point. Um, and he doesn't do a lot of wrestling here. <laughs> I would say um, I'm not sure how you feel about this. I think that's why I like it. I think the fact yeah. that this guy just came off this big, huge match that's going worldwide uh-huh. and that he's only doing it as a replacement. Mm-hmm. And I remember I said this thought on the AJ, AJ show where it's like, this guy could do a lot of things. This guy could like just do nothing. This guy could just like look like he doesn't care at all. And like, I'm not saying there's like full. Kenny Omega effort, but I don't think this guy is acting like he doesn't care. He could eat the guy up, like make him yeah. look bad, which yeah, he totally, totally doesn't do. And he sells the entire fucking match pretty much for this guy. This, a long match, too. Yeah. like It's like 30 minutes? Mm-hmm. Something close to that. This guy is selling pretty much this whole time. He's not hitting any of his moves. He's getting cut uh-huh. off at pretty much every turn. Um, I think that's why it's a real impressive performance, because this guy doesn't have to give his best effort at all. And it's uh-huh. not like this is Tokyo Dome Kenny Omega. He's like, he he doesn't try very much when they actually come back and they do the Fight Club Pro, Rev Pro, OTT stuff. That's very shtick heavy. And that's very clearly Kenny, Kenny Omega, like, there to, as a presence more than he is as a wrestler. Was that the famous match where, like, the heels... 
in this case, the bullet club, the elite, whatever, like totally shit on the local guys and like just didn't do anything and were on the mics the whole time. Was that that match? That was, that was OTT. That was as okay. Mania. Okay, I haven't seen it, so I was just trying to yeah. That wasn't get that, that wasn't that wasn't the whole tour. Okay. Um, that was the last show of the tour. Um, which will which, which is something we'll bring up later because their drawing record on those shows is fucking sure. ridiculous. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but yeah, this isn't Tokyo Dome, Kenny Omega, and like it didn't have to be. Yeah, but he still totally. tried. I still gave this guy a lot. He it, still gave the crowd what they wanted. Like, and I think they wanted that Kenny Omega experience, and like it wasn't like full on. He he actually wore the gear. Um, he had he wore his gears. He wore his DDT he has, gear. Yeah, he wore his DDT or Junior's gear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. I found very interesting when I first watched that. I was like, this he hasn't worn this in like three years. To me, I don't know. Maybe it's just I'm reading too into it. But like to me, that was like a uh, oh, it's an off night. I'm gonna wear my non traditional gear. I'm not gonna pack my good gear. And maybe that's just me reading into it, but that's how I came across. I don't know. I liked it because he hasn't worn it in so long. It wasn't, sure. just, it wasn't like he wore the like very notorious house show tights. Yeah, totally. You're you're totally right there. Yeah. So I like the fact that after this big, huge match, this life changing match for him, that he went to England on short notice, faced this local guy, mm-hmm. gave him a whole bunch of space to do whatever he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, got cut made, off. Didn't probably do a of, didn't do a whole bunch of his of his signature spots. Like pro- probably made Tiger Ali's career. Yeah, like I I don't know like what he's doing now, but like this is a guy I'd never heard of. So there's there's something. Um, what did you uh speaking of Tiger Ali? What did you think of the flag shenanigans in this match? Um, I don't. I'm not really a fan of like those kind of stables anyway. Oh, okay. That's not where I thought you were going with that. Though you're completely right it is uh unacceptable in 2017 to be doing oh this is a scary foreigner staples yeah, like, stories i don't remember the flag i don't remember the flag stuff that you're exactly referring to so uh, in general like the like bad like oh he's so evil because he's foreign stuff it's like yeah tiger ali is iranian or at least he was uh announced as being from tehran and came out with the iranian flag um and during the match at one point Kenny gets his hand on the flag. I think Tiger Ali was trying to use it on him or something, and and Kenny just took it from him. Uh, and he and he grabs the end of the flag and threatens to wipe his bum with it, and teases the crowd about it, and then yells at the crowd like, "No, we're supposed to re- respect the flag. It's no different from our flag. It's this is someone you should respect." And then like maybe five minutes later, is just using it to low blow Ali repeatedly, and it's like, ah, that's a <laughs> it's quite a change there, Kenny, and it sort of rubbed me the wrong way. I don't know. It's, it's, it's not. It's not. Is, it's, 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 like, it's like common totally. wrestling shit. Like, you know, you don't have to like it because it's wrestling. That's not the point there. But it's uh-huh. like, when you watch wrestling so much, it's like, it's like a flag where like the heel is very clearly using it as a prop too. Am I going to blame Kenny Omega for it? Yeah. No. And it's not something he does often or ever. So like. I feel like it was probably a Tiger Ali spot. <laughs> I should considering so, how, considering, least, yeah. considering how play, considering how much they play into the nationality is like yeah totally that's, that's probably, probably his spot yeah it's probably something he does a lot yeah um but yeah what did you think of the match um because I remember like when I first sent it to you like <laughs> thirty minutes like this is like kind of I was so like, angry about it <laughs> I was like thirty minutes now um you sort of summed it up though uh though we like 
we come at it from different angles. Though I think we, I mean, we're, I don't know. This is a real classic, like world class performer takes on local heel and gives like a, a two and a half, two and three quarter star match performance, um, which sometimes I really enjoy. Sometimes I don't. It's a really particular sort of thing. Um, and while, while this one didn't do a whole lot for me, um, though, shit, there was one spot that I really did like, and I, I think I forgot to write it down. I don't remember what it was. Um, even though I didn't like it so much, I can totally see why someone did because it's the sort of thing that I do enjoy from time to time seeing like, um, a world-class performer change up his shit on a smaller level and, and like, because and so, trains like that. Yeah. Because it's so rare with Kenny and because yeah. when you know what he just came off of. Totally. Just came off of like three weeks prior, but still you're just came off of, cause I think this was his after the new year dash match. I think this was his next match. Yeah. Cause I don't think he had worked. He, he wasn't working the fantastic mania tour. Uh huh. Cause he was, he took time off. Remember? Cause mm-hmm. he, they did, did the thing where everyone thought he was getting signed. But yeah. Um, but yeah, like in what I guess is like his own, like it, like it was the only match he had there. And they went right back to Japan. Uh huh. So for a lot, like it just was rare. And I don't think anyone had expected him to like have like a, a run in the UK like he did later on in the year. Mm-hmm. But yeah, at the time I was like, wow, like the guy didn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Like Cody missed the date and Kenny Omega's like takes the date. He, they could have got like fucking Jay Lethal or some shit. They could have got like Adam Page, like. Some God other forbid. shit, but like they got Kenny Omega and like he didn't let the crowd down. Uh-huh. Yeah, he did. He did fairly okay, even if I think he didn't do a lot. Uh the next match, um, I didn't write down any dates for most of these. Oh, I got him. I, I, I I'm a I'm not a date person. Um But it's the men of low moral fiber, Kenny Omega and Chuck Taylor versus the Young Bucks, and it's their second match together because after mm-hmm. They were in the finals of DDT four, and that was like the real turning point uh-huh. of the Young Bucks. I don't think it was finals; I think it was semis. But you're right, yeah. Yeah, it was in the DDT four, and that was the real turning point um, of the Young Bucks to where to like where we know them now. Isn't it weird to think that there was a time when the Bucks were faces? Um, I guess not for me, since I think sure. I might have been introduced to them as faces. No, I, I totally was. It's just they've been heels for so oh, long. Oh, yeah, they've been heels for so long. But, like, yeah, like, my first memories of the Bucks are his faces. But they definitely are solidified heels or mm-hmm. whatever now. It's weird for them. To give, to give this some context, this is from PWG's Against the Grain from October of 2009. Um, This match, I think, starts off very unassuming. It's Kenny Omega... Um, still in a t-shirt, in a t-shirt on the apron with a zombie mask on. <laughs> I forgot about it. Yeah. So um, I don't know why he had the zombie mask. I'm not going to question it. There's no point in questioning it. Like it's uh, thankfully it goes away fairly soon, but people, like, it's like, what, like, what's the point? You they do a whole, they hold, it's sort of like what Callahan's been doing recently with space cat, where they do a thing where like whoever wears the mask takes on the attributes of the of the mask itself um but they quickly just throw that out because it's it's sort of ludicrous and they don't have the balls to run with it <laughs> um Kenny Omega does the thing i think really like, runs with his arms up uh uh-huh, just yeah. very uh funny um 
like the like the noise Zoidberg makes would be like the noise you would use there. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> good comedy. Scared. I was too scared to do that. Um, yeah, it's good comedy here. But I love this match. I think it's maybe the best PWG match ever. Um, Whoa! I think because it's such a basic tag formula, it's uh-huh. really just a lot of Southern tag psychology of a lot of the Bucks doing chicanery, distracting the ref, um, doing a clap behind the ref's back to make it seem like they tagged in. I love that. Um, I love that. Distracting the ref. So Chuck couldn't get in or pulling Uh Chuck off the apron and continuously like beating, um, you know, it was like, they're pulling, no, they're pulling Kenny, Kenny off the apron and all that shit. Um, but yeah, I like the way they paced it, the way they structured it. It's something that like, if you introduced it to someone as a PWG fan now, like they wouldn't think they did many matches like that. Like the closest thing we've got to that since then is leaders of the new school versus best friends from a few months ago. Sure. Which, which you are over the moon about. Yeah. So like, it makes sense why I love like this match too. Uh It's like, I love that kind of stuff where you like, we can blend in the Southern tag psychology, but add in these, modern day like super athletic guys that can mm-hmm. do their hot tags and look incredible and then you have a heel team that's just as incredible in the ring and can do stuff like that and and it's interesting we've brought up the term self-aware a lot on this podcast this is i think some of the better like self-awareness we've seen recently in wrestling where like the bucks have been faces for a very long time but the crowd has turned against them in the last year or so. In, fa- is, in favor of Kenny Omega and Chuck Taylor. To keep uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Uh, has the, after many months of the Bucks holding the tag team titles and the crowd slowly turning on them in num- in great number, um, they are challenged by these uber hot baby faces. And they really play with that formula mm-hmm. in a way that like – in a way that feels so – obvious but your, like your your word of the podcast last time when we did aj styles was indignant and i think like that's what the bucks are here like, sure. they're like really laying into the crowd they're playing into the fact that they're leaning like, into it like you like you're the reason why we're acting this way uh-huh and it and it and it works and like you you'd think you'd see that sort of thing more often but like especially in pdpg for god's sake uh and we didn't see this sort of thing pop up again until roddy in 2015 um, but like the way they're leaning into it, it's so fucking effective and it makes for like a, a white hot match towards the end. And eventually the some Bucks. Of, will... Yeah. Um, if... Go ahead. Like, some of these near falls, we were mentioning how like white mm-hmm. hot the crowd is for this match. Like some of these near falls are like, like you actually buy that. Like it yeah. wasn't, it didn't feel as if it was just near falls for the sake of a near fall to be placed. Uh-huh. Like the crowd actually bought into it, which I I really liked it, a lot of the PWG crowd for that because I feel like a PWG crowd more than other places tends to really get into the near falls, and I'm not saying they always fully buy them, but when they but when they're really into it, I think a PWG near fall is like really hard to beat. Yeah, they they bite harder than most places, and I don't think it gets like any more like. Um, praising and calling it the best PWG match ever, but like <laughs> it's a match that like I love a lot, and it's like it's good, it's real good. Like Chuck, like Chuck isn't my guy nearly as much as like sure. he's yours, but like 
seeing those four guys in like a match that was really a turning point in so much in the promotion. Yeah. I think as a match is great. And then when you look back on it, like eight years from now, it's still like even more interesting to look back on mm-hmm. seeing where they are now. It's super good. I'm, I'm like, I was, I had thought about including it in my, um, in my list. And I sort of, aside from the very obvious the spiders moving again, you probably just see me just jump on camera there. Um, aside from the very obvious like zombie mask stuff that is just nonsense, I didn't have like a whole lot of negatives, so I didn't want to pick it for my list. Um, but I'm glad you picked it for yours. Um, and to go back like where these guys are now, it's so like Omega, obviously big star, US like you know IWGP US champion, uh-huh. the Young Bucks, tag champs everywhere at any given time. It doesn't matter yeah. whenever whenever the promotion wants to put the belts back on them. And Chuck Taylor just won the PWG PWG championship. So it's like, just looking at it now, it's like, man, like what a collection of stars that was old four days. They were just all looking for their place in wrestling back then. Uh huh. Uh, the next match I think I'm going to do, um, goes to Kenny Omega's junior run in New Japan. Okay. And I think this is something. Where like a lot of people hate the Kenny Omega Jr. run because of like the first two months. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very I think it's one of the ones where the first impression is so bad that people yeah. just like dismiss the whole run. There's and, a lot of there's a lot working against that run. Mm-hmm. And the match I'm talking about here is Kenny Omega versus Mascara Dorada from Invasion Attack twenty fifteen. And I think this was April fifth. Yes. Um up to this point, it's the best match of Kenny Omega's um, junior title run. Totally. I like the Alex Shelley and Matt Seidel matches quite a bit. But this match um, showcased Mascara Dorada, um, who hadn't really got to do much in New Japan. Much? Try anything. Ugh! <laughs> oh, you, look, I'm not defending it. I think. I know. The, I, think the, I think the fact between, like, CMLL, WWE, so... and New Japan. like. Fuck. He can't get anything as, like, the fucking most mind-boggling thing. One of the best luchadors in the world, and he can't catch a break. <sighs> anyway, um, <laughs> other than the fact that it was, like, real exciting to see Mascara Dorada get a big title match. Mm-hmm. Um, and we say big, it's, it's like, 13 minutes long. For, yeah, they do for, it. Like, but for him, it's, like, a very totally. big deal. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and I like how uh, compact this is. I like how straight to the point it is. Uh-huh. Um, Mascara Dorada um, indulges in some degeneracy, like crotch chops and all that. Yeah, super <laughs> super weird. <laughs> I don't know. I still like it when like people you don't expect to do crotch chops do them because it's like not like Rick Knox. Rick Knox does it all the time, but like 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 the real like out of the blue ones. Uh-huh. I still really enjoy, and that's what Mascara Dorada was. Um, it's not to say that it's not filled with like Kenny Omega cleaner stuff. Sure. The, like the quite literal cleaner stuff. It is. It does have that in there. How'd you, but I think, uh, but I think how'd you feel about, well, how'd you feel, how'd you feel about all the, uh, the broom stuff? Um, at the time I didn't like it, but I didn't hate him either. Like a lot yeah. of people this around this time, like turn on Kenny Omega completely because this shit was like, like, so like on the nose. And like, if you like read the interviews, um, or things he said about that gimmick, 
that wasn't what it was going to be at first. Mm -hmm. It was because that people kept like making that joke about him being like a literal cleaner. Yeah, he started carrying the trash can and the broom. And there's there are a few things I dislike in wrestling more than jokes becoming actual gimmicks. <laughs> I'm not but, even sure if it was like an actual like joke. Like when people like when he's the cleaner, he yeah. laid he laid out the entire gimmick for people. He yeah, said, I'm cleaning up the junior division. And he said it, nothing and it, about being a janitor. <laughs> and it comes from a legitimate term used like in the mafia, I guess. Yeah, for like, like for him, man. Yeah, for hitmen who like take care of a messy situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most notably um, something like Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. The Wolf. Yeah. Um, so yeah, There's I just... never, I didn't hate it. No, I, I really like this. I think it avoids a lot of the common pitfalls that you see in especially New Japan Junior matches. Um, like there's no pointless limb work here. It's they yeah, go it's all real, in straight to the point. Uh huh. It's real straight to the point. And these are two guys who can do uh, lucha slash junior heavyweight wrestling well, and they do it well for 13 minutes. It's fun stuff. Uh, yeah, okay. Another reason why I picked a junior title match, because like something that I think annoys me with Kenny Omega, but like other people that um, I think a lot of fans do this with, is like the perception of like um, what oh. a junior <laughs> is and what a heavyweight is. And like, <laughs> I think because I haven't talked about it on the podcast, I just wanted to do it now. Okay. It's like, I think... Full, full disclosure for the people listening. Uh, this is something that I think Quinn and I disagree on quite a lot. And this is something that we got in a fairly big fight over at one point. I don't think it was a fight. I think I just like, like just, all right, whatever. I think, well, you and I were both a little hot about it. I don't think we argued about it. Though. I'm trying to figure out, like, I don't think I said eh. anything to you about it. I don't know. Anyway, Either way, um, we feel strongly about this. I think that the junior heavyweight, cruiserweight, light heavyweight label, like whatever you want to call it, at one point served a purpose. At one point, 70s, Mm -hmm. 80s, sure. I think now as uh, time goes forward and as wrestling begins to get more blended between um, wrestlers of all kinds of shapes and sizes and um, athletic skill sets being put in different positions that the terms are pointless, meaningless, and often used in derogatory ways to yes. keep someone down. And I especially had a problem with it when it came to Zack Sabre Jr. Um, and like, yeah, he was a junior in Noah. That's, no, like, uh-huh. that's factual. He was in the Cruiserweight Classic. That's factual. Uh-huh. But you can't go ahead and be like, this person should be a junior. Why are they a heavyweight? Um, no, you can't do that when the company is clearly putting them in a different position. And just because mm. they have history doing another thing doesn't mean they should be doing that thing. You're allowed to move <laughs> up and, you know, rearrange and change what you're doing. Well, I think, and, I think part of, uh, part of the problem that specifically came with Zach was that I don't think he gained much weight, which sure. is historically a big part of moving up a weight class. And the problem with that, that I really have with wrestling is that literally weight means nothing at this point. Sure. Uh, totally. some, the, where they adopt weight class from comes from actual like sports. Yes. Combat sports where weight classes and distinctions are made for like safety reasons. Legitimate and, like to make things fair. And to be fair, also things that uh, differ wildly. Like in boxing, it's 200 pounds for heavyweight. Mm-hmm. MMA, I think it's 205 and over up to 265. Uh, in CMLL, it's 
wildly different in kickboxing it's like less than 200 it starts at less than 200 um and and amateur wrestling amateur wrestling is different uh british wrestling is different um wwe goes 225 right I think they. Doesn't I think matter, the, doesn't even matter what they call it, the weight class. Sure, like, that's what, uh, but I'm talking about like actual. Oh, sports. it's two hundred five now, duh. Of course. Yeah, but I'm talking like actual sports. Like the weight classes uh-huh. and distinctions exist for like actual safety yes. and to make yes. things fair. Yes, yes, yes. So yes, that's yes. why I always had a problem with this. Is like because it's way. Yeah. In wrestling, like it literally does not need to exist. Yeah. There's no like actual reasoning as to why, like a safety reason, for like you know the big and little guys being separated. Uh-huh. Would be needed in wrestling, and yeah, I, I get it, like to like just like separate them, give like the smaller guys something to do, I guess, fill out the card. But like, you don't need to make them seem lesser just yes. because they're not, you know, yeah. big. You could have just yeah. made them mid carders. A huge part of that is just the connotation of words like junior heavyweight and light heavyweight. Yeah, um, and I definitely do agree with you that it's not necessary. Though I, I do like uh, I like weight class based wrestling, but like. If you're just going to have two classes, don't even fucking try. Either have nothing or have, like, a pretty set structure oh, of, yeah, like, sure. like that's... of at least heavyweight, middleweight, junior, light yeah, heavyweight. Yeah, like, go all in with it then. Totally. But, like, if you're just going to be heavyweight, junior heavyweight, and then when I look at AJ Styles being a heavyweight, and then I see a lot of the same people go, Zack Sabre Jr. should be a junior when he's bigger. Than AJ Styles, he's taller. Taller, uh, like mass <laughs> not... size. AJ is like probably like, got like 20, 30 pounds over him. Uh, he has to. He's a stocky guy. He's yeah. got that barrel chest. Well, but... speaking of speaking of barrel chest, um, and this is like I don't know. You mentioned it earlier that you came up watching a whole lot of like Japanese wrestling real early in your wrestling fandom, and I did the same thing. And I really uh, connected to to big heavyweights like Jumbo Saruta and Shinya Hashimoto and Stan Hansen. And for me, like that embodied what a heavyweight was. Right. And there's a famous, there's a famous story of when Ishingun came into all Japan in 1984. Um, Giant Baba told Ricky Choshu, Hey, we're going to replace your normal tag partner, Animal Hamaguchi, real small guy for a heavyweight, uh, 5'10", 227, something like that. Um, we're going to replace him with the bigger Yoshiaki Yatsu so that he fits in more with our main event style here. Uh, Choshu himself, not a big guy either. Um, and it's like, it it sort of bothers me sometimes, though I, I definitely do agree, like, the heavy or not the heavyweight, but the, the weight system in general should be abolished if it's not going to be used properly. Um, it kind of, like, it kind of bothers me sometimes when we use the same terminology to describe um, people back then versus now because wrestling wrestlers have skewed much smaller over the years, which I don't think is a bad thing, but to use that same outdated terminology, I think is weird to describe Jumbo Saruta as a heavyweight. And also Zack Sabre Jr. as a heavyweight, I think is very odd. And someone like animal Tom, uh, animal Hamaguchi, who is like probably the smallest heavyweight of his day. Um, and has, I think the exact same build height and weight as Hiroshi Tanahashi, who is like, right smack dab in the middle of like heavyweight size today yeah like i'm not saying it in a way where it's like i hate the fact that we use it like derogatorily sure, and like totally. and it's not necessarily a fan thing but when you see how the company treats people that yes are juniors, oh god yes yes, yes. is my problem that's like, so dumb. yeah and like i really 
hate how we, um, especially in WCW, real fucking bad when it came to how they treated cruiserweights and when they moved up and calling people kids and um, um, dwarves and things and there's along some, those lines. There's some racism specifically with WCW too, mm-hmm. with how many of those guys were but were minorities, like Japanese, yeah. Japanese or Mexican. Like they were yeah. like really leaning into that kind of stuff. And totally. like even past that level, you can look at like the booking in New Japan where the junior member um, usually takes the fall. So mm-hmm. like, which like stands to reason, I guess, but it doesn't. It, breeds... it doesn't have to be because the person is a junior heavyweight. Uh huh. Yeah, and it and it breeds a sort of harmful mentality, both in fans and in like company people. Yeah, so like I get the like image you have of heavyweights, and if like that's like the way I guess you view wrestling, where it's like well, image, it's... like first image first. Sure, but also like I I just look at the word and it's like no part of Zach screams heavy to me you know what i mean which is uh, why is it that's because of that perception that was built up through i guess they were due i guess yeah but i don't know oh that's like the that was like the point of it is like it was like this like whole um uh i guess standard we made standard wrestling made on what a heavyweight looks like uh and in general i just don't really like Putting and, down someone and un, like sure. undervaluing someone because of their body and because they're not big enough. Totally, totally, and that's, I, and that's what it is. Yeah, we're we're not here to to body shame Zack Saber Jr. or something. And I think, um, unless you had something else to add, I think one last point on this is um, the people that I'm talking about who I think of as heavyweights are way heavier than heavyweights would be in traditional sports. Huh? Like like Stan Hansen is a goddamn super heavyweight. Yeah, sure. Like he's he's way too big for that sort of thing. So it's another instance in which like wrestling just got to be fucking dumb and different from everything else. Um, but yeah, I really like the Muscara Dorada match a lot, and uh huh, it's real good. I think I actually do have another Kenny Omega Junior match. You do, funny enough, and it's Kenny Omega versus Kai from All Japan, and I believe it's October twenty third and twenty eleven. Uh huh. Big sumo hall show. Do you uh do you like Kai? Yeah, I do. I like. I'm actually a pretty um, ardent Kai defender. I yeah. like a lot of people. Um, um, again, a whole bunch of vessel promotions booking and pushing, projecting it onto the top guy kind of stuff. I felt he got like don't have to like his stuff, but I feel like he got like um, unrightfully a whole lot of shit that he didn't need to be blamed for. Uh huh. Um, once again, a guy who's actually moved up to heavyweight too. Uh huh. Um, a whole bunch of his booking. Again, not his fault. He does not book it. So, yes, if he drops the title after just winning it, why are you blaming Kai? <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. I think he got a lot of that. But, yeah, I've always really liked Kai, and I especially like his junior stuff in All Japan. Uh-huh. And this match in particular, um, I always find that this Kenny Omega All Japan run real funny. Uh, he's like, like kind of leans into being a heel, but he doesn't go all the way into it. He does some obnoxious things to the crowd. Um, I forgot. I forget what he does in this match, but the crowd gets like the crowd like boos him pretty hard. Mm, I don't remember. Yeah, I forgot what it was in the match, but the crowd definitely gives him a uh, a pretty good amount of heat. But I didn't pick this match because of uh all that. I picked it because it's real fucking dumb and straight into the <laughs> spots. Yep, big ones too. Um, this is a very crazy match, a very nutty match, one that, um, like the Mascara Dorada match, is straight to the point, 
and what they uh-huh. want to do. I think like not even ten minutes in, Kai does a like a cross leg fisherman buster to the floor, off the apron to the floor. Yeah, off the apron to the floor. Um, some disgusting spots like Kenny Omega takes a ridiculous Michinoku driver that like absolutely like looks like it like puts him right on the top it's, of his head and his shoulder. Yeah, and elbow. like a like a tiger driver, which is. Mm-hmm. Honest to God, probably my favorite move in wrestling, and it's a really gross one here. <laughs> um, but yeah, or I not, like the I like I like the insanity out there. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. Uh, it's I can appreciate when when someone doesn't lie to me and say no, this is this is a wrestling match with substance and drama, and then goes into dumb stuff. I, I can appreciate it when someone just goes right into the dumb stuff, and they do that here. Um, hitting some real stupid spots. You didn't mention it, but like Kai hits a gorgeous Tope Suicide yes, here. does. Um, probably the best thing I've ever seen him do, <laughs> to be honest. And I really liked it. If you can hit a good Tope, I, uh, I'm rolling to your stuff. I think Kenny Omega's all, like, entire All Japan run is real good. Um, I'm facing, obviously, this... Kai right here, but he faces uh-huh. Hiroshi Yamato. Um, God, who was? Shuji Kondo, Kaz Hayashi. Like, he does some yeah. real good stuff in All Japan. I really enjoy I don't... I don't remember any of it. This might have been the only one I've ever seen. And this wasn't the first time I watched this one, but this might be the only match from that run I've seen. Yeah, it's like 2011, 2012-ish. And I, um, being of that era, like, like at that point in time, I really think looking back on it, um, I was watching a whole bunch of Kenny Omega coming into this podcast. Um, I think between like 2012 and 2014, I think Kenny Omega might be like, consistently my, the best wrestler in between that time. It might be like someone like Walter or mm-hmm. Sami Zayn, or you can uh-huh. even throw a Cesaro in there. Uh, yeah, definitely those last two. I think Kenny Omega's like right there. But when I like, when I like looked back and like look what he was doing between All Japan, between DDT, um, and tag settings in big singles matches, I was like, man, there's like a lot of stuff here that I completely forgot was like in this two year window. Those are weird years for um, um, most American indie wrestling, like outside of PWG, really. Um, that's a weird year for – or it's a weird couple of years for Japan. Um, a weird couple of years for WWE, even though it contains, like, the best story they've ever told. Um, and I'd, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Daniel Bryan would be in that next. Yeah. Like, I'd, I'd, I'd probably point to him as wrestler of the year for most of those. But at the same time, Generico and Cesaro are putting on some of their best stuff – uh, together and separately during that period of time, but uh, sure, Kenny, I could, I could, I could buy Kenny because he's doing. He at, by that point in time, he had really um, captured that like main event DDT style that I think, uh, when done correctly, is real good, and he was doing it everywhere. Right. Uh, the next one, I believe, my last one. Maybe? Yes. <laughs> um, is. The literal definition of <laughs> wrestling a broomstick. <laughs> and it's Kenny Omega versus Yoshihiko from May 5th, 2010. Poor Yoshihiko. Had to carry this broomstick. This is one I always find really interesting when I come to the DDT guys. Uh-huh. It's like, the figure of speech is obviously such and such can, can carry a broomstick to a good match. Uh-huh. And like... They would use it as a phrase to like really boost someone up, like a Ric Flair. Like, oh man, he could just do this in his sleep. He wouldn't doesn't even have to have like a, a totally a, like a real live a sentient being person <laughs> to have a match. 
Yeah. And I always find it funny that when DDT guys actually did it and had entertaining matches with a blow-up doll, that people gave them a lot of shit for it. Well, I mean, there's a there's a big difference between uh, a figure of speech and the literal execution of that, but sure, it is a little funny. Sure, like I like the fact that they actually, well, Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi is like probably the best at uh, going all in with the Yoshihiko stuff. Uh-huh. I think Kenny Omega in this match um, tries to tell some semblance of a story with Yoshihiko. He beats the shit out of the blow-up doll for a good amount of this match. Uh-huh. Um, when Yoshihiko gets back on offense, so to speak, Kenny Omega bumps like a madman. Yep. And I like the fact that in this short match, I think it might be clipped too. Um, oh, really? I saw the full thing. I'm, I'm not sure. But okay. I think for the fact that he actually goes out there with a blow-up doll. And it's one of the skills that, like, I appreciate. Like, I get it. Like, if you think it's it, dumb or like, I, like, that's fine. Like, that's fine. But it's something yeah. where it's like, when I see someone actually doing what they say someone else could do hypothetically, it's um, like, well, yeah, like, this person actually is going out there and having an entertaining match by themselves. This is one of those things where it's like Jim Cornette saying, oh, you're killing the business. Like, I don't know about the whole kill in the business shtick, but like, if you dislike this, I get it. Like, I'm not going to draw yeah, the line. Yet. Like, no, you have to like a blow up doll wrestling. <laughs> this is, this is some goofy shenanigans. Um, but you're totally right. Kenny does this well. Um, three times throughout my wrestling career, I have wrestled, either a stuffed animal or an invisible person. And it's hard. Like just the way that you approach doing things is so different. Like you, you don't have to, like you, you don't really understand how hard it is to bump and sell and feed and even just do offense to, to something that isn't there or something that doesn't respond in any way. Um, And Kenny does it well here and it makes for, a super fun match. After these messages, we'll be right back. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey, pro wrestling announcer Kevin Kelly here. I want to make sure you are all subscribed to all the great feeds here at Place to Be Nation. It's really easy to do. Just head to iTunes or your preferred podcatcher app today and search and subscribe to the Place to Be Nation wrestling feed, which, of course, includes the full archives of The Kevin Kelly Show, the Place to Be Nation pod feed, and the Pro Wrestling Only feed. Subscribe, listen, and then rate us and leave feedback today. And be sure to give Justin your true thoughts. I mean, don't hold back. After all, he is kind of a jerk. Just listen to Scott. Place to be Nations, JT Rosero and Chad Campbell here. We want to let you know that we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and PlaceToBeNation.com, and we offer those to you on three great feeds. On the Place to Be Nation wrestling feed, we bring you the Mothership, the original Place to Be podcast, as well as main event, Lucha Afterground, and our monthly pay-per-view reaction shows, as well as the Our Vantage Point podcast and Jeff Learns Wrestling. In addition to these full-length shows, we also deliver quick-hit pod blasts on topics old and new. 
Over on the Pro Wrestling Only feed, we dive deep inside the wrestling business with a stacked army of experts leading the way. The feed features potpourri shows such as This Week in Wrestling, Greetings from Allentown, Psychology is Dead, Puro Puri, Stacy and Elliot's Bogus Journey, and the Military Industrial Suplex. We also have shows that focus intently on certain topics like Letters from Center Stage, Space City, and NWA Classics on Demand Adventure, Through the Years, Strong Style History, Strong Style Story, and Mount Olympus. Plus, the feed has the full archives of legendary shows like Titans of Wrestling, Where the Big Boys Play, Letters from Kayfabe, and much more. And on our popular Place to Be Nation Pop podcast feed, we offer such great shows as the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular, Rank and File, PTBN Dadcast, Go Home in a Box, NBA Team, and Lucha Undead, as well as a vertible podcast heaven for comics fans with the hard-traveling fanboys, Sellers Points, Todd Weber's Conversation, Geek and Sassy, and Imaginary Stories Podcasts. You can find all of these current shows plus archives of our past podcasts, including the Kevin Kelly Show, as well by subscribing to all of our feeds on iTunes. And while there, be sure to rate and leave feedback as well. All of these shows plus others available on PlacementNation.com, where we cover pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, plus in-depth stretch projects and more. Be sure to support our site by using PlacementNation.com backslash Amazon when shopping online and download our free PTB Vintage Vault Refresh eBooks via the links on our site. We also want to thank our friends at Boneheads Wing Bar in West Warwick, Rhode Island and Fall River, Massachusetts, TheHistoryWrestling.com and Scott Keats' Blog of Doom. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and Tumblr as well. PlacementNation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Now back to the show. Now for the, I guess, segment that we spent a good amount of time building up. And this is like going to the current New Japan style and Kenny Omega, who is a very big part of that style. Uh And um, I think this is like one of the big things when it comes to... uh, Kenny Omega right now, obviously, is that he is getting praise as um, being the best at the style, I would guess. Um, obviously, Okada is always right there. But Omega is the golden boy. You know, it's like, you know, it's fine. Like, Omega is, like, the guy that's, like, getting all of the buzz. And, I, like, Kenny and Okada isn't as available for um, interviews in English. They can't, like, talk to him as much. So, like, I get uh-huh. it. So, I get it. But, yeah. And... This is one where I think a lot of where, where like the hype will play in, because in general we've mentioned it with the style stuff is that the New Japan style and like the big hype matches just don't do a lot for you. Mm-hmm. So I think um, going with a performer like Kenny Omega, who I think you find like I guess less value in than AJ, going in and doing that style is just gonna is gonna do even less for you. It's the AJ thing is an interesting comparison because like I've never loved AJ the way that I did love Kenny. So it's a, it's a hard thing to really put my finger on. Um, but yeah, like Kenny in new Japan matches, it's hard to tell because like at the same time I felt for a long time this way about new Japan main event matches. Um, uh, and it's hard to tell if Kenny is necessarily making them, notably worse or if it's just we're now entering like the fourth year that i've felt this and it's just weighing on me even more none of and, these guys right there 
yeah and now that this guy is here too it's like oh um i don't know because like on one hand i think this is like the perfect sort of wrestling for him he he talks about how how he wants to like create emotions in his matches and he wants to wrestle for non-wrestling fans um he wrestles and, he wrestles there's entertaining matches and there's not entertaining matches like and you can see that in the way he wrestles yeah he's trying so hard just to have the big dramatic over the top emotional entertaining match um and some of those adjectives don't always appeal to me though it's it's so this is something vow harps on um in a sarcastic way and it really annoys me when they're like uh oh i hate it when people go out there and have entertaining matches uh and it's something i think uh john philip havage john if i'm saying your name wrong i'm i'm very sorry you have a non-traditional last name i have a non-traditional last name i know how much it fucking sucks when someone gets your name wrong so uh, john I'm, I'm very sorry if i'm saying your name wrong but johnny p uh like two days ago he and uh other friends of ours uh jared goldberg and stephen graham put out um my favorite fucking podcast of the year so far the first episode of the royal ramble over on pwo and uh john brought up a good point i think i've got the quote here somewhere Maybe I don't. Um, well, he was he was just talking about how like people talk about hyper entertaining wrestling and big over the top wrestling as if you have to like it. That because it's so exciting and because it's so athletic um, and because it embodies all these adjectives that are positive adjectives that you necessarily have to like them. Um, and I think that mentality does certainly exist to some degree, but like, that's not what everyone looks for in wrestling. And I, and I look for something entertaining in wrestling. I look for something exciting in wrestling, but at the same time, intent is an important thing to think about as well as like what you, what, what you think is exciting uh huh, and what you actually think is, uh, what you think is exciting, or what crosses the boundary from exciting to just like nauseous or nauseating, I think is the actual word I'm looking for. Um, and Kenny more often than not is like crossing that line into just nauseating where to go back to that, like, I think it was the catch me if you can interview where he's describing wrestling. That's like hokey and choreographed and, uh, governed. And, uh, you have no idea why people are doing all these moves. Like that's why I, or that's how I would describe a whole lot of his stuff and a whole lot of Okada stuff and a whole lot of just, uh, high end new Japan stuff in general. Um, Man, it just it hits it hits notes that don't do a whole lot for me. They feel obvious. They feel heavy handed. Um, I just see them too much. Like they're just tropes that I'm tired of. Um, I don't know. There's a lot going on here. We're, we're totally. You brought this up a couple months ago, I think. The idea that like I don't so much hate Kenny as I hate where he's working today, and I think there's a whole lot of truth to that. But like, I'm not sure if he's necessarily making making the promotion better for me despite all of his efforts uh, despite all of his efforts oh sure and it's like working in a certain promotion can like accentuate like the things you dislike most in somebody totally um i think that's like with me um like like sammy callahan like when, but, he, when he works in aw yeah which is so interesting we're definitely going to talk about that in january because like i've had a real different experience yeah like his stuff just doesn't do much for me like that's fine mm -hmm. like you don't have to like it sure um I think that also comes back to uh, 
I guess, like how visceral a lot of the dislike can be. And like, this is oh, like, okay. this is why it always comes like to like very vocal, um, critics and very vocal, like supporters. And it's like always going to like lead to like this sort uh-huh. of shouting match about which is better. And like, I don't think you're exactly one of those people that like will shout back. I, I think you'll write about it in your blog, but like you're not like, going to <laughs> no, get in arguments on Twitter about it. Like, that's one thing I wanted to talk about. Is like, uh, it sort of relates to the Oscars thing, where it's like I don't like to shove the things that I dislike in people's faces, especially when it's something that they like so much. I'll just write about it on my blog that sometimes I retweet because that's a place where I go to write about wrestling for me and. I specifically started to do it because I was like, I want to have a place where I keep this safe and secure and I can revisit it right. in future years. Um, and that, for the most part, that's where that stays or there or the Slack chat where, uh, <laughs> where I'm a little more comfortable. And with that comes a whole lot of like pettiness and snarkiness. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, there's a, there's obviously like a, there's no problem with like writing for yourself and like getting out, Sure. all these um frustrations and feelings about what you feel about feel about something and this is what talked about when it came like con- like what a contrarian is it's like mm-hmm. a contrarian like like when you just like say shit to like just because and then don't back it up <laughs> when everyone else already likes it and you just kind yes. of like leave it as it is yeah um today i was reading uh hazlitt which was this um I'm going to pull it up right now. Hazlitt's this uh, online Canadian literary magazine. And today, or not today, uh, like two days ago now, uh, this guy, what's his name? Christopher, no, Stephen, Christopher, what the fuck? Stephen Kearse, Curse, it's K-E-A-R-S-E. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, actually. Um, This guy named Stephen wrote this article called Critical Failure. And it's talking about Armand White, who is a very uh, infamous film critic. Um, who is infamous for taking away a whole lot of the 100% scores on Rotten Tomatoes because he gives like beloved, well-received movies bad reviews and gives very curious reasons for it. Uh, he's also infamous for, despite being a black man, a gay black man in his 60s, working for the National Review and being a neoconservative and hating Black Lives Matter and just being an insufferable human being in general. But I'm here to talk about his film criticism and specifically this article about him. And it goes into great depth about like who he is, where he comes from, uh, why he has such strong opinions about film and specifically about film criticism. And a whole lot of his film criticism is criticizing film criticism and how that's sort of a circular thing. And it leads to weird reviews that could be better, but he, he's he got like noble intentions in mind. And there's something I, I want to quote from here. Um, uh, Stephen writes, quote, he wasn't initially a contrarian or a hack or a troll. He was a gay black man with the audacity to demand that movies not be condescending and escapist and patronizing to the people that loved them, that needed them. And that's like, that's what like I strive to be. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I want to be someone who wants wrestling to not condescend to me and to not lay it on so thick and to give me some benefit of the doubt. And that's what I think a lot of people who are labeled contrarian or labeled trolls. Uh, I think that's how many of those people feel. And it just thinks that like in 
this second largest promotion in the world and the most um, widely praised promotion in the world. It's bred this sort of mentality that's like, oh, if you don't like this or if you don't like this even 100% of the time, because it's not like I don't like it, uh, Okada and Shibata is my number two match of the year. I think that shit rules. Um, it, it's it's just a shame that we've bred this sort of mentality where like people who don't like it are just saying they don't like it to look cool because that's that's not a thing people don't people don't do that at least most people don't do that adults don't do that i agree with you but i think it goes back to what you had just quoted there Mm -hmm. is that you want all these things to not be so condescending so patronizing to the viewer but if the people like love them like that's Fine, totally. like, it's not it's not your job to tell them no this is what everything about this everything about this movie this match this uh-huh. like, that's not your job like no one gave you that job it's like obviously a very noble thing to like you know try to bear that cross but it's like and to, when to you're be like, fair to yeah to be fair to armand in this situation he does specifically rally against like the idea of a film critic um right but but as you were saying yeah it's like so i get like the idea of like Anyone that dislikes New Japan is automatically a contrarian, a uh-huh. hater, a troll, they're blind. A hater, uh. Whatever, like, um, term you want to use for it. But yeah, I think there's also something to be said about the people that kind of, like, think, like, well, no one else will say it, so I have to say it. Yeah, no, you're totally right that there is, um, that in itself is, is a, is a problem, to be sure. The people, the people going into a public space and going, no, this is, actually bad in capital letters um that that in in itself is a it very it doesn't, it doesn't help anything it does it doesn't do anyone any good sure yeah um maybe it might be like some kind of like you know for yourself but then again like you have something like a blog where you can like get something out there <laughs> like totally you totally. don't need to go to like the nearest person and hop into their mentions like um actually <laughs> uh and sometimes people people will confuse or conflate an attempt at discussion with right. that sort of um actually um which is another problem and sometimes yeah, people go out of their... to like just discuss like yeah. like actual discussions just can't happen on twitter a lot of the time it's it's very difficult and we should as fans as people strive to be better but i think with new japan uh, especially with like how you feel about it uh-huh. in this like a lot of these conversations like spawn from like other things we've talked about but I've always thought, like, I don't think you exactly hate New Japan. When I look across the board at what you criticize, uh-huh. that's, like, prevalent in, like, all in lots Jap- of Japanese-style main events. Yes, that's true, too. Yeah. And we've talked about that to a great degree before. That, like, I just, I'm getting real tired of um, Japanese main event-style wrestling. So this is another one of those cases where, like, it almost feels like you single something out because it's like, I guess you think it's like this, like the biggest, biggest example of it. But at what point is it like, you know what, maybe just this whole thing has this problem instead of just like, boom, Mm -hmm. right here. Mm -hmm. No, it's like, I think in, I think every promotion has like one or two people like that. New Japan's got, uh, Kenny and Kazuchika. Dragon Gate's got Yamato and BB Hulk. Um, Big Japan, I guess, Daisuke, I would say. I don't think Okabayashi and Suzuki and those people 
exhibit those problems nearly so much. Um, so like everybody, and it generally happens to be people who get booked on top a lot, funny enough, uh, generally like every promotion has like a, a person that I think embodies my problems with that style the most, but at the same time, no, you're right. It is, there's more, there's more of it to blame with the style itself, but you could double back around on that and say like, well, they're like, the, this... they're like the, they're like the biggest culprits, like, sure. But like, I think you could argue that like, um, if you're a good wrestler, you could circumnavigate those styles, the, the style problems inherent in this genre, um, which is a more theoretical thing. I don't know. That's kind of smelling your own farts and, and, and trying to be like, trying to argue that like, well, this wasn't as good as it could have been, which is stupid. That's a stupid argument to make. <laughs> um, a lot of things about Kenny Omega. Um, we talked about like his like path here, but uh-huh. one of the things, one of the things about him that like a lot of, like a lot of people get credit for different things. Like, Hero, Cabana, the Young Bucks get like credit for like going like with the merch stuff and like putting mm. their merch in different ways, mm. um, not just t-shirts but like other um, merchandise. Um, obviously you can purchase. Like it wasn't always just t-shirts. They were remember, like they were guys that realized that it wasn't just that that people wanted. Yeah, I remember first time I met Colt in I want to say it's '09. Um, he was selling like uh, what are those called? coasters he was selling coasters with the jewish the, the star of david on them and his name and i was like why are you selling coasters and he was like because people buy coasters um and like yeah totally you're right those people they got in early yeah and kenny omega um along with guys like um matt hardy who was the father of it really um kevin steen the young bucks really went to go play to social media in mm-hmm. the whole going viral thing Mm-hmm. Um, Kenny did it somewhat early, obviously, with the Falls Count Anywhere stuff, and then it transitions into 2011, where he faces uh, the 11 year old girl. Like, I always forget her name. Haruka. Yes, I think um, she was eight at the time. Um, like it's like every time I hear the age, it's different. Yeah. She was actually 37. <laughs> but um, facing the little girl in 2011, um, the countless DDT things that happened, um. Things that happen in his big matches that are just absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and now with being the elite, I touched on it a little bit earlier, but being the elite is like a legitimate phenomenon as far as like how it does on social platforms. Uh-huh. Um, I mentioned how like being the elite and their subscri- and like all that stuff views wise crushes a lot of the stuff on Ring of Honor's YouTube channel. Yep. It beats a lot of the stuff on TNA's YouTube channel. It beats a lot of the stuff on Progress Wrestling's YouTube channel. On Progress, you can make a case of like the third biggest promotion in the U.S. And they're like, they're in England. Like you can like they're they're running shows here. Look, no, you know what I mean though. It's like I, as far no, as like, I, it didn't make sense at first, but no, I understand the argument you're making. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> and Progress is like their YouTube videos like aren't doing big numbers. Yeah. Um. A lot of New Japan stuff because well, they're because they got the streaming service, dog. And yeah, but like a lot of the, like whatever videos they put on there, like their promos, whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, New Japan, yeah. Their um, YouTube um, YouTube account. Um, they do good numbers, better than better than um, Most Ring places. of Honor and TNA a lot of the time. Um, 
but they seem to cap out around that like 70k 80k with some stuff hitting that like 100k 100k mark being the elite consistently is breaking 100,000 views uh-huh and that's something that is very important in current wrestling because obviously um depending on how much you want to buy into it and i don't think that they i don't i've never known these like guys as liars apparently they've gotten a cease and desist letter for the whole fuck the reliable thing yeah uh th- didn't they didn't they get a similar thing about the new day shtick that they were running for a long time I don't know. If, was that a season desist or was it just like they just kind of? I don't know. My, my, I wouldn't be surprised if WWE got involved. Like, stop it! Like, don't yeah, care. yeah. But I think the fact that they are um, to the point where even just like something that's like seemingly as innocent as saying "fuck the revival" on your little YouTube show gets WWE like, hey, um, cut that out. Yeah, and I think those. Three in particular, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. Or it's something I've been saying this year is like when you look at Omega uh, himself as a draw in New Japan, when you look at the Elite as a draw in the UK and going to like four different promotions, four different promotions of Fight Club Pro, Rev Pro, Discovery Wrestling, and OTT and drawing record setting um, attendance figures there. Uh-huh. And then all of the merchandise deals, the Hot Topic deal, where they're in every store in the U.S. and Canada and keep selling out their merch. Uh-huh. Um, and to the point where they're going to have to, if it keeps going, like they're going to have they're gonna have to add them to locations all around the world now. They can't just keep it as a North American thing. Or does, or does, or does Hot Topic even have that many locations outside of North America? Like I have no fucking that. idea, actually. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't like, strike me as something I would see in a whole lot of places outside of the U.S., you know, I don't know. I've thought about, I've, I've tried to look it up, but I couldn't like exactly it, find like all of it. Like, does France have a scene girl scene? You know what I mean? I would think I don't, so. I would I, think so. I'm not sure. <laughs> but but yeah, you're getting think, at a you're getting like, at a lot of things that like Kenny Omega is this big phenomenon alongside like the Bucks, to be sure. Oh yeah, I think the been, Bucks like the Bucks have to be mentioned because for four, three years now as part of Bullet Club. They've been like consistently uh-huh. all around the world repping the brand more than anyone. And they were and, big. They were a big deal before then. Exactly. Um, um, I, I always credit the Bucks as like, like everyone says like AJ and him working Ring of Honor and all that stuff. I think the Bucks really made like Bullet Club cool because when they first join and they come back with like the Bullet Club Bullet Club shirts and they're everywhere with them. It's like, yeah, like that's a big deal. These were already established guys. And uh-huh. then they're coming back with like all these spoils, like yo, yeah, look at this cool club we're in now. Like, I think the Bucks were a very big part of that, and obviously, different um, leaders have taken them to uh, different heights. Uh-huh. But yeah, I think Omega and the Bucks, as the elite, have done like really phenomenal stuff that, in a WWE controlled world, really yeah. is like amazing Ad- to look at. Totally, it, it's part of a larger. Jesus Christ, the spider. Uh, it's part of a larger discussion about what constitutes a draw in this day and age that, I mean, plenty of people have had. Um, and I think specifically Brandon Howard has broken down into actual math pretty well, or at least uh, within the WWE. Um, definitely worth checking out that. Um, 
And I question about what constitutes a draw, like when you're only drawing, like at most a couple thousand people in an already like hot promotion, um, or when you're coming into a place like New Japan, which has seen consistent growth over the last couple of years. And like, I wonder about how much of that is due to Kenny when that also coincides with like Kazuchika Okada's rise and how much you can I'm associate not, with I'm him. Not, I'm not exactly putting New Japan on Kenny. Sure. You know totally. what I mean? Totally, I think totally. something like Dominion this year doing um, a reportedly better number than Dominion last year did, and that was Okada versus Naito. Uh-huh. That was a big deal, yeah. So I would think, you know, at that point, you, like, can't, like, kind of, like, I like, I, okay, like Okada will make it at Wrestle Kingdom 11. Uh-huh. I remember at the time, a lot of, I'm not sure if you remember this, but a lot of people were like, oh, man, the tickets aren't selling well. And Don't remember sure, that. Yeah, I remember a lot. I remember people saying that. And then the actual show happens and numbers come out, and it's like, that might be the fullest looking dome show I've seen in a few years. Like that, always, I thought it was a I thought there was a clear growth from the last few years. I'm always I'm always skeptical of dome show announcements, but you're not wrong. There's there's total like substantial uh verifiable growth that has coincided with like Kenny Omega's rise. Um and I and I'm just I'm trying to get at like a larger problem that like how we talk about who draws money in wrestling is both a sort of uninteresting depending on like what you actually enjoy in wrestling and B um, is often based off of like half truths and like incomplete ways of looking at things. But I can't deny Kenny Omega has brought people to shows and has sold uh, merchandise to people who wouldn't have bought them otherwise. And like he, that's a credit to him. And to completely put on the table, I'm one of those people that that think that the way we talk about drawing should be completely changed. Sure. Because sure, sure, sure. I think it just means a different thing. Yeah. Because it's not, like, it's not, not, not it's like, not what it means in the 80s. Yeah. Not all, like all these places aren't running these big arenas anymore. They just can't. Yeah. So when you're working with limitations and you are able to go above um, what usually happens in these promotions, even if it's just, um, usually there's 700 people there and now there's, Two thousand. Uh-huh. Even that's if it, that's a big number difference. Yeah, here. but like even if two thousand comparatively isn't as big to drawing a house in Mid South in um nineteen eighty two. Yeah, yeah, like it's a different world, it's a different industry, and they have to make do with what they have. Sure, that's why I remember um, when Brian Danielson didn't get into the Hall of Fame, um, Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame the first year. Yeah, and a lot of the blowback against him was like, "Well, how much did he draw?" And I'm like, "A lot of that time period, you have to run two hundred, mm-hmm. three hundred at most people at those shows." Yeah, and, and some and some people see like, "Well, he did well considering the limitations," and other people see like, "Well, because of these limitations, he is not and because, viable." And because and because they have the standards of yeah, and, and, and like it's real like. Or you can go either way on that. I'm one of those people that like, sure. Stand like standards change. They're, like we have precedents, but precedents just don't apply to every era, every scenario, mm-hmm. and every person. Totally. And I think for right now, Kenny Omega and the Bucks are very big on that. And it wasn't just a problem. Yeah. I have a question about. Okay. Like 
did you ever expect Kenny Omega to reach these <laughs> these kind of heights? That's an interesting thought because like five years ago he main evented Budokan. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's pretty fucking big. Yeah. There's a small handful of people who can say that. Um, at the same time, though, it's, I mean, shit, like, it's a big difference between main eventing Budokan once in a show that DDT probably sold, like, their soul to get. Um, there's a big difference between doing, like, bar shows in Manitoba to then selling a substantial number of tickets on your main event match to the Tokyo Dome. Like, that is a big fucking deal. And, like, despite the fact that five years ago, which is a considerable period amount of time into my fandom of Kenny Omega, he main evented Budokan, like, didn't think he'd get here, you know? Like, it never it never crossed my mind. I didn't think he was ever going to leave DDT, for one, um, which is a whole other thing. One thing that I remember asking you around the time of Okada Omega 2 coming out, um, I don't remember one, why were you watching it if you hated the first one so much? Yeah. Um, that, was, that was one, but this was like, I remember like, were you like watching it to like see if you like, you like, because I remember a lot of people were under, under the assumption that Omega was going to win that match. Mm-hmm. And publicly on Twitter, I didn't see many people who thought otherwise. Like internally in the Wrestling World Slack Chat, there was like us talking about the fact that it would go to a draw. Yeah, but on Twitter, I didn't see much of that. There were there's a lot of moving parts with that specific specific match because like you got to think this is like what five matches into Okada doing very long matches that go close to going to a draw in 2017. This is um, this is a mid. Was, I think it was the third match. So the first Omega one, the Suzuki match. No, 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 fourth, 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 fourth. You're right. Shibata, I guess, how long did that yeah, go? Yeah, Shibata. It sort of long. Fall I didn't go that long. I haven't seen it yet, right? Yeah, Fall I didn't There's go no that long. There's no way Fall I had a 40-minute match. No, Fall no I didn't go that long. <laughs> so, four, so four matches in, you're setting a precedent. People are expecting a certain thing. Right. Um, this is also admit, amidst, like, tons of rumors that Kenny was leaving that are still prevalent today that, I don't know, I don't know if I believe them, but, like, that's always going to hang over you and it's going to cloud whether or not you think this guy's going to get a title match win. Um, this is also like deep into Okada's big title reign that is clearly meant to be formative. It was, and, it was coming up on a year. Since uh-huh. he went back at Dominion. And you could either argue that like, oh, it's time for him to drop it or like, he's going no, to win the G1 or something. Uh, or, or that. Or, no, they're going to go whole hog with him and he's going to be Hashimoto's record, and it's gonna he's gonna be like the new biggest guy ever. I remember, which is time, clearly where they're going now. I remember at the time the thought was Omega's gonna beat him at Dominion. Uh-huh. Okada's gonna beat. I mean, Okada's gonna win the G One. Naito somebody Naito somehow gets his gets gets a win back over Omega in the G One. Yes, beats him at King of Pro Wrestling. Yeah, and then it would have led to Okada versus Naito at Wrestle Kingdom. That's yeah. what the that's what like a lot of the thought was at that sure. time. There's because there's just like so much to take in there that like even though I thought something and you thought something, um, there was a lot 
to consider. But you're coming back to this idea of like, why did I go out of my way to watch Okada Omega 2? I'm pretty sure you watched it live too, right? Mm -hmm. Why did I watch it live um, when I hated the first one so much? And it's like, I've talked about it a lot before. Like, I don't get anything about, I don't get anything out of disliking wrestling. (laughs) Like, it's, it doesn't behoove me to have matches out there that I don't like because that's like, that's stealing happiness away. Um, so I always try to give something the benefit of the doubt. That's the first point. The second point is like, I did actually believe like, I think Omega is going to win this one. Um, because new Japan doesn't necessarily do that whole, that like multiple wins in a row by the same person thing a lot. Uh, if they do do it, it's it's with someone like Ishii, where they're they're like telling a story of like these are people on two different levels, um, and so it was like, well, if Omega lost the first one, and this isn't the Tokyo Dome main event where they want to have a a nice sparkly uh, babyface finish, like maybe this is where he's going to win it. Um, so because I really thought he was going to win it, and because I used to love this guy and because seven months previously you had approached me and were like hey we should do a thing about uh kenny omega because you used to like him and you don't now and i think that's an interesting thing um i had all of this like swirling in my mind and i was like i should watch this match to see if i still feel anything about this guy because like if him winning the IWGP heavyweight championship in this big historic, beautiful venue defeating this guy that I really dislike. Um, if that doesn't do anything for me, like nothing will. And they go out and they have a big one hour draw that I, I will say I like it more than the first one. Um, they did more interesting things that I really I enjoyed at the time. You, you like, you were, you were saying that you hated this one even more. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure if I actually said that though. I might've definitely I'm, said that. Okay, fine. <laughs> I said it, I probably said it in the moment because it's I don't because again precedent like having a forty-seven minute match the first time and then continuing to have long matches second time around you you're f- pretty fucking sure they're going long and there was a lot of talk if this isn't Omega winning it's going to a draw and you get twenty minutes and you're like okay this feels like a draw you get forty-five minutes and you're like this is this is going to a draw and so that weighs on you and I think that can influence like why I didn't like it as much. But like in with a couple of weeks of hindsight now, like um I probably like it more, but like going out of my way to watch it live, um show didn't help much either. There's a fucking there's a fucking Irish airborne Christ spot in that big <laughs> man tag match. You remember that? I got so pissed about that. Yeah. <laughs> it soured me on the whole show. No, but um like I, I went out of my way to watch it live and it was a fairly fun experience. I got to watch it with you and with, I think a couple other people were up at the time. Um, and it's just, it didn't, it didn't make me feel. And that stinks because that's like, that's confirmation. That's confirmation that like that ship has sailed. And that's not to say that I hate all Kenny Omega matches. I watched, I watched, Definitely every single match he had in the G1. Didn't you I like think the, I, didn't you like the Yano match? 
Oh, I really like the Liana match. I liked a couple of those matches a lot. I'm pretty sure I reviewed all of his matches. Um, I liked a couple of them quite a bit. Uh, when he's not trying to be like 47-minute Tokyo Dome main event guy, I think he can be really fun. Um, the Suzuki match, I think, has real problems, but it's really good. And a lot of that has to do with I love Suzuki, but at the same time, like, takes two to tango. Um, but, yeah, like, I <coughs> – pardon me. I um I watched this big one hour main event draw, this big emotional match that has like uh towel teases, which is sometimes really goofy, but sometimes I I get really into doesn't, doesn't doesn't happen that much in wrestling anymore either. Nope, it's a real old school thing, and I like that it's stayed pretty rare. Um should have made me feel things and it didn't. And uh I'm not happy that it didn't. Do you think that was like the moment? Where, like, you saw, like, everyone else talking about how, like, emotional uh-huh. and how much yeah, they remember is... the match for them. And that was, like, the one where it was, like, yeah, this ship has sailed. Yeah. Like, you said in this podcast, you think this is the best match ever. And, like, for me to feel next to nothing about it is so disheartening. Right. And I wonder a lot about that. A lot of, like... You, you like I, I know something you've talked about before is like set pieces in wrestling, especially uh, in New Japan, where you like really uh, dislike them. Yeah. Did you feel that as a set piece? Because in the moment, I was what like, the towel thing. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I felt that as what I was described as I need a to, set piece. Sure, I need to go back and watch it again. Uh, you gotta understand a big part of it is just who did it. The fact that it was Cody, kind of already off on the wrong foot there. You know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I don't know. I think I just have to watch it again because I, I don't trust my first reaction to a match. Uh, not today, yesterday, early yesterday morning, I rewatched the Trevor Lee chip day match from early, oh, earlier yeah, this yeah, year. Yeah, I remember. That was, um, that I, you like what you had problems with. I was so hyped for it. It was, it was one of the most hyped matches and for then the year. And then, and then I remember like the day and then it came out, the night that it came out that you had said you had just came off of watching like some, um, EWF match. There's like something like UWFI match. They're like, I like Sano in it. I think I'm, huh? Now that you're thinking of, now that you mentioned that, I think I did watch Funaki versus um, shit. What's his name? Oh, he shares a name with a Joshi girl who I sometimes confuse. Yeah, fuck. I, yeah, I, I forgot his name too. But but, like, but yeah, like you, you I, said, I, you would just watch that. Yeah, yeah, like I just watched my favorite UW, UWFI match. Uh, for a podcast I was about to do with Sam for We Don't Know Wrestling. Um, and I remember I was like, it paled in comparison to that, which is where oh, it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, I, I think it does have problems by itself, but I rewatched it like two days ago and I was like, oh, I like this way more. Like it has smaller touches that I didn't notice in the moment. So like, I do just have to go back and watch Omega Okada 2 and I'll see uh, what it does for me on a second go, but like, well, yeah, we also have like very different memories. So it's like, totally. So you know, one hour match, there's, there's going to be a whole lot of leeway between what I remember and what you remember. Sure. Yeah. Like, so like, I guess like in general, we just like, <laughs> I don't think you've mentioned it before. Just like you forget, um, stuff that should be important sometimes. Yeah. Just in life as well as wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. And I like to think I have a pretty like oddly good memory of things. Sure. 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 So, yeah, like naturally, I guess like going back and looking at things would refresh some stuff for you. Maybe you find some details that you like. Who knows? But 
Um, did you watch the last three nights? Yeah. Of At Sumo Hall. Yeah, I reviewed all of them. Come on. I didn't know you reviewed them. Yeah, I reviewed. Um, I did the math. I reviewed seventy-five of ninety-one matches of the G One, which clocks in at like eighty-two percent, which is bananas. I've never done even half of that. I think <laughs> I, I, for some reason, was like, eh, I'll just review this G One. <laughs> Uh, what what would you say you uh, did you would you say you like Okada Omega three the yes. most? I think it's I think it's um see that's why I was that's why I was guessing since a lot of people uh, yeah. who didn't yeah. like the first two like it because it cuts out uh, it cuts the fat out yeah um right. in my review of it on Brock hates wrestling at WordPress um I compared it to the Fast and the Furious films uh, I compare a lot of things to films just because I'm pedantic like that uh and I. I was talking about how like the early Fast and the Furious films vary in quality and sometimes they're really goofy because they haven't yet really gone all in on the goofiness. Um, but somewhere around like the fourth or fifth film, they're just like, fuck it. We're going to lean into this and we're going to make it so over the top that you can't deny that it's a big bombastic action packed fun filled romp. Um, and while I disagree that it's all of those adjectives, and while I disagree that they're enjoying or they're enjoying that they're entertaining, um, I like the fact that they're honest about it. I like that intellectual honesty of of not trying to force feed me like <laughs> the idea that this is somehow like anything other than a popcorn flick. Um, and I think sort of due to the fact that they have a 30 minute time limit time limit in the G1. Um, and there's like also other things going around with sure. their, with their story in particular with Okada's G1 run. Like, uh huh. There, there's a whole lot going on there, and with um, Omega finally hitting the One Wing Angel and that killing Okada finally. Um, there's a lot going on there, both structurally and thematically, that it it makes for a much tighter match in which they go right into the hot and heavy stuff, and I like it a whole lot more because of that. Did you have any like strong feelings about the Naito Omega final? Since like I felt like a lot of it, mm. um, I don't think enough didn't play off what happened last year, which I guess I like since New Japan is such a callback heavy promotion that they decided, yeah. you know, we're gonna go a little bit different here. But it was yeah, it was it, it told specifically Naito's story a whole lot more heavily. Mm -hmm. uh, which is something I know you loved. Um I don't know. Once again, I'll, I'll just have to rewatch it. But like, yeah, I didn't do. And you also, for me. And you also weren't a Naito guy before, like before 2015. Hated Naito before the heel turn. Yeah, and even in the midst of the heel turn, I hated him more because I was like, oh, cool. Now he does even less in his matches. But then, <laughs> but then at one point, I think like in the midst of the Shibata feud, it clicked, and I was like, oh, I get it. I like this. And then after that period of time. He gets through Wrestle Kingdom and he starts to do more in the match, in his matches while remaining in the gimmick. And like, I got really into it. And today, I, I really like Naito. And I've gone back and I've appreciated his his past face stuff that I hated even more, like with the uh, AJ Styles match that we talked about. Are you gonna rewatch Okada versus Naito from Wrestle Kingdom Eight? <sighs> Man, I probably haven't seen that since it happened. Probably should do that at some point. Sure. Yeah, I was gonna wonder about that since that's like gonna be the big. Well, they have they have, they have other matches, but that's gonna be like the big thing they want to play off of, and that's getting very much um, off topic about what we're talking about here with Kenny Omega. But sure, <laughs> one thing one thing about the G one was that like a lot of uh, 
debate on like who should have won the G one, and I don't think I was like super strong either way. Yeah, like I like I like the Omega Okada story more. Like I'm not gonna yeah. deny that. I thought they did a kind of a poor job, like with Naito in the Okada feud. I thought, oh, um, yeah, yeah, I, totally. I, thought, I thought like the interference stuff was like, like I, I I just didn't like it as much. Um, thought it got done too much, and for Okada, I, I just didn't like how it, like it all played out. Now, granted, no, I agree. I agree. Now, now, granted, it led to Naito. Um, I guess you could say getting hotter. Um, getting the IC title run, doing real well with that as a champion. Um, but yeah, I wanted the Omega Okada like completion because that's what they've been focusing like this year on. More specifically mm-hmm. Okada's story, but Omega is like right there with him. And I think Omega did a good job there in that final of like making me want Naito to win. And Naito too for that matter. Because Naito was doing things that like like flooded back a lot of memory. You alluded to it, but like Naito doing a suicide dive and Naito mm-hmm. doing the Star Express. A really good an amazing looking one. Like I always yeah. say Travis Banks is like the best suicide dive right now. Oh, okay, right now. I was like Blue Panther, man. Come on. <laughs> I always say Travis <laughs> Banks. Like I always say like Travis Banks is the best one right now. Sure. But Naito, like I was floored. I was like, oh man, like he didn't uh-huh. do the fake out because again, two years of doing the fake out and now he finally does a suicide dive. Like, oh, that it, yeah, you super off guard. It's an it's a nice thematic thing because he has to turn it up against against the guy that he should have smoked last year and was blown out by. Um, so yeah, it's a nice little narrative there. And I'm doing the Stardust Press again. I was a really big Naito fan before Los uh-huh. Angeles, and that's not like oh, I liked him before he was cool. It's like I always really liked the guy. <laughs> Yeah. I got I got to make that clear on the podcast with you. Um Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I always really liked Naito, so to see him do those things put back a lot of good memories of him at that point in time. Uh-huh. And it made me like really want to go back and see Naito make things right again. Uh-huh. But I think it also And to, yeah, go ahead. And you want to see New Japan do right by him, which yeah. I don't think happened at Wrestle Kingdom 8. Oh, sure. You could argue that like since then, he almost doesn't need the win back since he's become such a big star. But yeah, it's like, you could argue that. You, like, you have no, like, I have no problem with, like, seeing 2013 Some... being, re, like, being, like, having that, like, be rewritten. Uh, but someone's, someone has to beat Okada. <laughs> I know we talked and about if... it before, but it's like, I think Omega or Okada, I don't think Omega or Naito should win. Who should be evil, you think? No, I've, I think I said before, I think it should be Jay White. Oh yeah, okay. I would say if you're gonna have him have like the longest reign since uh, yeah Tanahashi or whatever, and Hashimoto, reign, Hashimoto, excuse you. No, like the longest reign like Tanahashi. Well, currently, yeah, currently yes, he yeah, he's not the longest reign ever. So whatever. not until September something, I think. Yeah, come on, we're, or October. We're, 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 we're getting there. <laughs> um, we're going to sadly, but um, yeah, oh. I was thinking since that's how Tanahashi lost his belt to a uh, very. Young Punk coming back Okada, mm-hmm. I think it would be a very great and neat full circle thing to have Total. Jay White come back and be like, hey, um, remember that shot Tanahashi gave you? How would you like return the favor to like another young guy? How, would... how, how does that start, do you think? Does Jay White have to beat Yoshihashi at Wrestle Kingdom in a <laughs> shitty match? Who would he, who, who's like the equivalent of Yoshihashi right now? Like, you, like at maybe you'd uh, say, would it be like Jay versus Juice? No, no way. There's just way better than that. I know, but you got to mean like in, I guess, yeah. 
it would have to be someone younger or Juice. Or maybe like Sho or Yohei if they came back. Yeah. Maybe. Um, I like that we're not talking about Omega anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, we mentioned the Dominion match and like how you didn't feel anything there. So I guess yeah. so like the... Well, um, I shouldn't say anything, but I didn't feel enough. I guess like the bigger one is, and it's where it kind of ends with like him getting quote unquote the happy ending is uh-huh. the long like the Long Beach G One shows where he gets crowned the inaugural IWGP United States Champion. Haven't uh, haven't watched those yet, sadly. Really? Okay, I thought you had I thought you had at least seen like the first show. Should have when the G One started. I was like, shit, should have watched those, and I was like, I'll watch them soon, and then I didn't. <laughs> Oh man, that no. was like big question lined up of like Omega Action uh, and then did you care? No, nah, I'm sorry, I haven't seen it yet. Who did he be in the finals? Ishii, right? Ishii. His whole run was Elgin, Lethal, Ishii. I don't know, I, I prob- the way that people were talking about it, I could go either way. Um, especially Ishii, who somehow I've grown to hate out of nowhere. <laughs> I really uh, think you just like dislike Ishii now, just like a white dude. Uh, like, are, are we accepting that he's white now? I don't know, because I looked it up. Because after you and I think JML like, like questioned whether or not Juice was white when I said he was, I looked it up. I can't find anything to suggest he's not. He's just dude from like Joliet, Illinois. It stands to reason that he'd be white. He does look like mixed or something, but I can't in a whole bunch of interviews that I looked at, I can't find any evidence to say that he's not just plain old white. Um, but yeah, I, was gonna, I, I was gonna ask either you way, Omega had this big moment in Long Beach, yeah, and obviously, like, just reading results are gonna, are gonna give you a different reaction than sure. like watching it live. But, like, did you get anything from that? I'm not sure if you ever saw the like post match promo he cut. It, it was no, like a re- it was a real heavily baby face, baby face promo. It's like you're gonna have to do since the Bullet Club is so over, which is funny because when they went there, Cody was the only one being booed, and they would literally cheer everyone else except Good. Cody. And it is the Good. funniest thing because everyone was like, "Oh man, it's gonna be such a pro Cody crowd," and it's like, "Nope, not at all." Um, I don't know. I definitely am of the opinion that like. I think that U.S. championship, or they call it the American, right? Not U.S. US specifically. US. Okay. Uh, I think the United States championship was like a real like, oh hey, we're gonna give you this consolation prize because you've been having such good matches uh, and you're so popular. And it's not to say like winning a new title, being the baby, the 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 face of this new title as well as this new like brand, I guess you would say in New Japan in North America. Um, I guess that is quite a distinction and something that Omega earned. But for me, like it can't feel like anything but just a uh, a consolation prize. And as much as like he might in, enjoy that um, and feel that that was like a worthwhile uh, distinction and a worthwhile accomplishment in his career, um, I don't know. I'm not like it. And shitty looking belt too. Oh yeah, the belt sucks. I still don't like it's the belt. Bad looking belt. <laughs> Gosh. Um so now that I think we've like covered pretty much everything here. What do you think right now on August nineteenth? Yeah. Twenty seventeen. Um, of uh what do you think Kenny Omega's legacy will be? And like what does the future hold? 
in your eyes about like where this guy is heading. So I said I was going to bring this up earlier, and I didn't. Um, but I think it actually fits into this topic in a, in a roundabout way. I brought up the idea that like I think Kenny Omega has developed this savior complex, um, that he's sort of come to view himself as a Christ figure, regardless of whether or not he would recognize it or describe it that way himself. Um, and what makes me say that is like, as we've alluded, as we've alluded to that he's said in multiple different interviews, um, he's not a wrestling fan anymore. And he's someone who is very critical of the way that wrestling is done throughout the world. Um, and even though I share some of those sentiments, uh, his, his take on it being, but I'm the one who's going to fix it. And, specifically the things that he talks about that I perceive to exist in his style, that sort of thing really rubs me the wrong way. And it gets to such, I don't know, like I perceive it to be so self-important and so celebratory and like holier than thou, that it, it makes me think that he thinks that he's going to be the guy to save wrestling. And like, if he thinks that, whatever, sure. Uh, I just, maybe I don't like to hear him say it <laughs> out loud. Um, and that's really what his legacy comes down to is that like either he fundamentally changes the way that wrestling works, the way that CM Punk did a couple years ago, as we mentioned earlier, either he does that, either he brings on a new era of uber athletic, uber emotional, high spot, heavy wrestling. Or he goes down as a really neat little flash in the pan that everyone went gaga over for a couple of years, but ultimately just was, you know, a false idol. And I don't know where he's going to come down. Um, I'm certainly leaning towards the latter being a non-believer myself, but uh, I'm, I'm not sure because 10 years ago, I didn't think he'd make it here and he proved me wrong. And you just mentioned the 10 years thing. So I'll question why do you think it comes down to him being a flash in the pan in the mm, worst ooh, case scenario? If he's already been so successful at what he's done <laughs> for these 10 years. Uh, it's like your brain. It got your journalism there, Quentin. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Cause like part of it's like the level he's at now and he hasn't been at this level for 10 years, but like, regardless of whether or not he changes the game, he's definitely going to stick around at this level. I think whether that's in new Japan or WWE. So, so you're definitely right. I, I shouldn't say something like flash in the pan, but whether or not like he actually, if you, if you think he stays on like this level, which is like fine, like this is like certainly new territory for him being like, I guess like the current face of like the Meltzer favorite kind of guys. And uh -huh. like, granted, like even if like we don't particularly hear about like what Meltzer says, something that I've been like, sure to point out is that like even if i don't care even if you don't care necessarily a lot of people get into wrestling and get their understanding of who to check uh -huh. out and who to look for sure. through dave Meltzer, through his ratings through I his radio do. show and things like that so kenny omega is going to go down as one of the yeah only guys barring Meltzer just goes full we're adding the full star kind of stuff in in the same way that like I can go on Wikipedia and in like his introductory paragraph, it'll probably state Mitsuhara Masawa holds 
the record for the most five-star matches from noted uh, wrestling pundit Dave Meltzer. In the same way that like that is one of many lasting legacies of Masawa, like Kenny could definitely get that, and he's already gotten that with the six-star shit. That like that's not going away anytime soon unless Dave loses his mind and like yeah. moves to eight or and something. Like, you know, like, and, like people make fun of it. And I sure. saw like I saw a lot of like cringe shit, like oh six star, six in the quarter, like you know, always like inserting it's... inserting the joke when it's not really necessary. Uh, I think it's a joke by itself, but sure, you're I mean, not ru- you're yeah, not it's wrong like making the... the joke when it doesn't need to be. Like it's not it's, it's not necessarily like right there. And the reaction to it is certainly a little heavier than it should be. It was like a lot a lot heavier than it should be. So even if like people think it's a silly thing, uh-huh. when uh. Younger version of people who aren't as crazy to do podcasts like this, um, discover, um, wrestling outside of WWE or outside of, uh, American television. Uh huh. One of the first things they'll see is Kenny Omega and Kazuchi Okada six star match. And there's actually footage of it. Yeah. Or it's like, shit. Yeah. Whereas in the past, we've seen more than five star matches and it's like they were never filmed. <laughs> that's yeah, that, like, that's like, a funny like thing. that famous Ric Flair. Steamboat yeah. match that no one has footage of. Totally. Now, because we actually have, I guess what it would be the first like actually documented one that you could actually go and seek out. Uh huh. That's a very big deal. Yeah, and like people might think it's silly, but it's something that's going to last. That's that is not going away. Um. With with a with a with a symbol with a symbol with a simple asterisk. Fuck. Speech impediment is fucking me up. Uh, with a simple asterisk that we thought initially was a typo, Dave Meltzer has like really solidified the name Kenny Omega in the history of pro wrestling. And like something I was paying attention to in the aftermath of the Wrestle Kingdom 11 match uh-huh. is I was paying a lot of attention to YouTube. I was uh-huh. paying a lot of attention to like the Okada so versus Omega uploads that would go on YouTube. So many videos. And how many views they would get and how many. Uh-huh. Um, videos would go up, and at one point, the full upload of the Kenny Omega Kazuchika Okada match was reaching like a hundred thousand, three hundred thousand views uh-huh. in a very quick span of time. And for comparison purposes, um, the semi-main event of that show, Tanahashi versus Naito, not even in the same realm. Other matches like Omega versus Naito, Omega versus Goto, not even in the same realm when it came to views. Yeah. So I really think that match in particular, even if like I preferred the Dominion match, even if like Dave gave the Dominion match a quarter of a star higher, it's like that match at that point in time really like set the world on fire. Yeah. And I'm not sure um if it keeps going. I'm not sure. Um I think if he like I mentioned before that like the guy has gotten certain stuff over yeah. that you would not have thought worked two years ago or even a year ago. Like, like the what? Term, the Terminator clap or the whole good, um, goodbye, good night thing becoming a really hot merch seller. Baffling. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what, like things you like, you wouldn't have expected to actually get big, but Kenny Omega doesn't even have to do the pose. That doesn't have to do the slapping on the mat. He doesn't have to one, do it. The crowd like knows now. That's one thing that, like, I'm also sort of – this sort of ties into the whole, the whole, like, Oscars talk that I mentioned earlier. Um, 
Kenny and people like Kenny certainly breed like a sort of wrestling fan that really annoys me. The sort of person who uploads videos to YouTube it's hard. <laughs> well, I don't know what you mean by that. <laughs> YouTube, like um, Dave Meltzer shoots hard. Oh yes. that's not even what I was getting to. But oh, okay. yeah, no, you're totally right there. Uh, I was thinking like this, the type of person who uploads videos to YouTube that are like was. Omega Yano actually a good match or this sort of person who like I don't want to call anybody out here but the sort of person who like um makes a New Japan GIFs Twitter account and like some of these people are friends some of these people are people who I like a lot some of these people who are um some of these people are people I interact with on a daily basis and at the same time they exhibit a sort of fandom that annoys me which isn't like not a fucking good reason to dislike anything or to specifically call out somebody on a fucking podcast i, I fucking hate it when people do it to me it's like just like for the record like yeah yeah like i hate such and such because their fans of my baby oh i hate i hate xxx tentation is that how you say his name i don't tentacion. even fucking know tentacion what <laughs> that's bullshit um, um that's how he's pronounced it <laughs> okay or like, oh, I hate XXX Tentacion fans, um, which like they can be annoying, but like, yeah, I always again it comes like like similar to the um, being the top guy in a company uh, and have, like being like having your like projections. If like, yeah, yeah, and and if if Omega wasn't in that position, these sorts of people would latch onto someone else. And it's not necessarily their fault. It's not Kenny's like, fault. I mean, either. just I mean, just for an example, they latched on to AJ Styles. Totally, very and much. Before, so. And before and before that, who was the most over guy in between, like the big three uh-huh. of Tanahashi, Okada, and Nakamura. Nakamura. Yeah. So it's like, I think it's very much just like he's like the guy right now that people find cool. Yeah, and I guess, I guess I just tend to dislike guys who people find cool. <laughs> That's really what it comes down to. <laughs> Is I'm. Uh, filthy hipster um but like that's yeah like a lot of this podcast comes down to things like it's not so much like i do honestly believe in certain ways that omega's wrestling has deep inherent flaws and he specifically tries to highlight those flaws because he doesn't perceive them that way and the adoring masses who outnumber me by infinity fold also don't perceive those to be his flaws um and so, like, while I, I think that, at the same time, I recognize that, like, the vast majority of these problems are just things that bother me. And it's just a reflection of my own personal tastes and personal flaws as well. Um, and it's not necessarily something that he should probably get blamed for. In the same way, and I think I echoed a certain, a similar sentiment in AJ. And if I didn't, then whatever. Um. In January, February, earlier in the year, a lot of the WWE talk was coming, and um, a lot of that due to what happened last year in 2016 uh-huh. with AJ Styles, the former Bullet Club leader, going to WWE and doing this whole grand debut in WWE, as well as a, having a very big year, like and what, what else we were saying, as well as Kenny taking time off, and then. Mm-hmm. John Cena, master troll of all trolls, uh, posting Kenny Omega repeatedly on Instagram, I think. Well, and add on to that, like multiple WWE contracted performers, like, like, oh man, that uh, match, so good. 
Great totally. stuff. Daniel Bryan, who I was just listening to on the Edging Christian podcast um uh-huh. earlier at work. Um mentions Kenny Omega by name. Yeah. On that on that show. So even um, you know, ten years later, um, Daniel Bryan is still very much paying attention to Kenny Omega. Uh-huh. And I was wondering at this point, now that all that stuff seems to have cooled down, do you think Kenny Omega at some point winds up in WWE and how would you feel about it? Um I think and I, got, and I think oh. I want to change before at okay. some point obviously is like kind of like still saying at some point in his career he'll do it. But I think Kenny Omega at like 38 years old going to WWE is like different than him going today right now yeah. at 33. Yeah. So like I want to give him like that five years, like, like you know, yeah. like wounds heal and time changes in five years, just like he's like kind of changed his stances in the last three, three or four years. Yeah. Um, go ahead. I think he does. I think there's so much working against the idea that he wouldn't. Uh, things like money, things like precedence of now that Sting has gone, he's like the biggest name who has never gone, who said, I'm mm-hmm. not going. Well, like Sting, Styles, now I am. Sure, Styles too, yeah. Um, I think eventually at some point he might, in the same way that he left DDT, a place that he loved because there was nothing left for him and because he perceived there to be bigger and better things waiting for him in new Japan. I think it might cause him to leave the place that he loves Japan in general and go somewhere bigger and quote unquote better. Um, do I want it to happen? No, there's like not, (laughs) I mentioned it earlier. I'm very anti WWE. I think there's so much value in high quality, uh, highly beloved, highly acclaimed wrestlers staying away from WWE. That is so much better for the business as well as just like wrestling as an art. Um, and I don't want this person in particular to go back there. Bill DeMott's long gone. Jim Cornette hasn't been there in 20 goddamn years. Um, Harley Race is probably going to be dead by the time that he gets back there. Uh, so it's not like he's going back to this place that hurt him in the past, but it's, I, I think it's just the idea that this was a guy who bet on himself and, and quit from being paid to train how to wrestle in the biggest promotion in the world and made a name for himself elsewhere. And even though I don't like that name that he's made, um, I am so much more glad that he's done that instead of flamed out in WWE doing God knows what sort of gimmick for 18 months and then just retiring. So I don't want him to go back, but it's an inevitability, I believe. Um, But once again, in the same way that earlier I said, like, I'm not sure what his legacy is going to be, but he's proved me wrong in the past before. Um, I'd love him to prove me wrong and to never go back. You mentioned betting on himself and Omega really is one of the first cases uh-huh. of betting on yourself. And like really two instances 
One is getting the release from WWE, and one is the and the other one is betting on himself to go full time in Japan. Uh-huh. Being like, I want to say the first Gaijin full time in DDT. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Because at that um, point, DDT is still um, a fairly small promotion. Yeah, and probably the first Gaijin. No, I shouldn't say that. Definitely in DDT, but like one of the more notable Gaijin to go for full time in Japanese wrestling in general in quite a while. Yeah, like... Especially just uh, in the realm of, like, how much he has done and how beloved he is. So, we like it's about it's, it's, on and it's guys know. It's guys like him, AJ, Destroyer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, like, that's some legendary shit right there. <laughs> so we talk about him betting on himself, and this has been a 10, 11-year uh-huh. Depending on himself, kind of thing, and obviously, as you get older, things change. Uh-huh. And if Omega like does reach the highest pinnacle in um, New Japan, or if he gets like right there, and they don't give him the ball, like what left does he have to prove? So, like, I wouldn't like it. I wouldn't like it. I Kenny Omega is one of the guys where like I think he's one of the few people where you can like look to and be like, man, like. I want to be like that guy in terms sure. of like his ambition and like sure. one of being one of the only people to go out and like make his own way. Uh-huh. I said it earlier, like there was no lane for Kenny Omega. There wasn't an already existing road that he could have taken. <laughs> he had a one-off match at Kota Ibushi in one match of the year. Uh-huh. He got brought back and he had to find something that would stick well enough so that he could keep wrestling there. Yep. Because at that point, DDT is small, and they're not going to keep paying for this Canadian guy's flights. Yeah. And he's stuck there. He's the initial switch from junior to heavyweight. Um, had a lot of, uh, even even 2016, there was a lot of WWE stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Not just, like when they're doing the whole New Day thing. So he catches fire in August. And he keep, he keeps it going all the way through now. It's not consistent. He did take the break. But I like the fact that this guy has just been able to like almost like keep topping himself in like ways I wouldn't have imagined. Uh-huh. Like when I was watching the G1 last year, I had no thoughts that Kenny Omega would win. And then we get to the final night Sumo Hall. He's facing Naito. Obviously, that's going to be the block decider. Still. I don't think he's going to win. Totally, yeah. He wins. He even faces perennial, like, presented as a choke artist, Hiroki Goto in the finals. I even thought he would not win that. Yeah. (laughs) And he wins. He goes on to do Wrestle Kingdom, and, like, I want him to win, but, like, I didn't think, like, he would be Uh down. And, yeah, it's just been a ride. Seeing him, like, continuously, continuously, like, seem to like thrive in positions where it's like I don't I never for some reason never processes in my mind and maybe it's just because of the way I view Kenny Omega as my guy he's not an underdog by any means of course he's not sure but like in this promotion where Okada's already established and Naito's established and Tanahashi is established it like does a lot of things for me to see Kenny Omega like right there and He's a guy where it's like, 
you can't like if you watch 2008 Bola and the last U1 final is like incredible that it's the same guy to me. Mm-hmm. And it, and um, a couple of things that we brought up earlier. Uh, I was talking a lot about how he appears to be very anti WWE and specifically about how they do business and how they go about um, performing the art of professional wrestling. And you were talking about how you're just so glad that he's happy and how he's accomplished this, all this, like this incredible career against um, so much adversity from all different sides. Uh, And like, I think, I think if he goes to WWE in my lifetime, he's not going to be happy. And I don't want to see that. Right. And I think a lot of it comes down to the fact, and what we established this earlier on is that we really don't know these performers as mm-hmm. people, especially someone as uh, elusive, elusive as Kenny Omega. Yeah. He doesn't do a lot of interviews. He doesn't do a lot of interviews talking about personal stuff. Uh-huh. Like even the bisexual thing, it's like, there isn't a lot out there. On yeah. Like, to be honest, I'm not sure that he's totally out, which exactly. is a, a weird thing to think about. Yeah, Cause like, like a lot, and a lot of, and I feel like, a lot of people have ran with it, and even uh-huh. then, Kenny hasn't said anything. Uh huh. Yeah. And it's one of those situations where I remember, I think a couple of years ago, like people wanted him to come out, and I always have problems like forcing people to do that stuff. But it's yeah, yeah like you want. As I was talking about earlier with representation, like even in 2009, when it's certainly not public, uh, people joke about things, but it certainly wasn't public then how like I identified with Kenny um, as, as this little gay kid from Indiana. Um, And like, that sort of thing's really important. And I think someone being publicly out Mm -hmm. helps a whole lot of young people like myself, like Kenny, but like, yeah, you can't force that on someone that is such a fucking burden to carry. Um, And the history of, LGBT peoples within Japan is quite different than it is in the United States and in Canada. But at the same time, like it's, you can't force that on somebody. Yeah. So even with that, and that's something a lot of, a lot of people latch onto with Omega and by all means, like if that's something that you identify with and that means something to you, Uh no one's going to take that away from you. Totally. Omega's not taking that away from you. Omega's not like telling you, Hey, don't do that. And I'm pretty sure something that he he certainly knows exists. Uh huh. Um, and I think for someone like Kenny to be um, as elusive, I'm not going to act like I know him as a person. I'm not going to act like, um, I'm not going to act like he is like a perfect guy that does nothing wrong. Because the fact sure. is like, we just don't have anything to say about it. Uh-huh. And I think sometimes as wrestling fans, we like hate not knowing in this age of like, we <laughs> have so many, we have so much information God, what a concept. Yeah, at our finger, so at our fingertips, right. we, we hate not knowing things. <laughs> yes, that's so true, yeah. Um, and sometimes, even if I only have, like, a little sliver of, like, what Tyson Smith actually uh-huh. is as a person. Uh-huh. Kenny Omega, this character, this amplified version of his real-life self who loves anime and 
loves his fighting games and wants mm-hmm. to learn Japanese culture. And is and is in like Guy Madden films when he's mm-hmm. twenty years old. Like Jesus fucking Christ! Like what a guy. <laughs> this is I. I'd probably like Tyson Smith. I think I would like Tyson Smith. I'd get along with Tyson Smith. And hopefully, for all the John Michaels isms, which don't bother me. Sure, sure, sure. It's like I always like to see people happy and Uh in positions where they feel like they can make a difference. Mm -hmm. And as self righteous and condescending and cocky, a lot of his statements could sound. I'm glad there's also someone out there to make them and not have to fear, like, fear the hand of WWE like that. Yeah. There aren't a lot of guys out there that can do that yeah maybe zach but it's like there's aren't that many people that can like fear like oh wwe and i'm not gonna be able to come back and blah 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 sure. blah. sure yeah so i'm just happy this guy that i saw in 2011 uh is somehow one of the biggest stars in all of wrestling and not just in a little niche japanese wrestling community <laughs> um to wrap up this podcast I am not sure what I'm going to be doing here in the future. I am busy with school. I'm not sure exactly how much time I'm going to have in the future. But this was something that we had in store for like eight months. So I'm glad um, anyone took the time to listen to this. And Brock, thank you for doing this episode. Mm -hmm. Where can the people find you on Twitter, read your writing? Or listen to your voice in other podcasts. Well, as I think I think we mentioned all three. Uh, I write for Wrestling with Words. I'm one of the last people actually writing words down for Wrestling with Words. Um, I also do, or I, I used to at the very least. It's been a month since we've had an episode. Uh, I used to do a podcast called Sports Entertainment Shrinks over on Wrestling with Words, and uh, I really enjoy that. And we've got some big things coming up in that realm, and so that's a that's a space you should watch. Uh, you could also find me on Twitter at notbrockyonke. That's spelled N-O-T-B-R-O-C-K-J-A-H-N-K-E. And as if several hours of bitching about about Kenny Omega wouldn't lead you to believe that I hate wrestling, I also have a blog called Brock Hates Wrestling over on WordPress um, where I review individual wrestling matches, uh, mostly just – not just mostly, entirely just modern stuff – um, and I'm actually sort of proud of it. So go check that out if that tickles your fancy. You can follow me on Twitter at QT underscore Moody. More recently, I've been doing these short podcasts. I'm not going to call them Pop Blast. I mean, that's fucking stupid. <laughs> oh, really? Um, I like the name. <laughs> um, we'll be doing these short podcasts with Tim mm-hmm. uh, talking a whole bunch of European and Australian wrestling since that's where I find most of my intrigue these days. Um, I'm not doing surprise as Lucha anymore. Yeah. I feel like that's a big update from the last time I've done this. And I hate bringing things back and stopping them and being inconsistent. And that had to go, even though I was really sad about it. But I'm not going to get rid of this show. I'm going to keep this show going. And I'm going to keep finding new topics and new guests and things I want to talk about and explore. New guests? This is news to me. <laughs> <laughs> You're actually off until January. 
God, I hope so. <laughs> I think a lot of people hope so too. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but I appreciate anyone that took three and a half hours or even longer to mm-hmm. listen to the ramblings and maybe oftentimes aimless defending <laughs> from a uh, 20 year old kid from Baltimore. So thank you all for listening. We'll be here next time. I tried, I tried, I tried, just know that I tried, that's right, I tried, I tried, got a call from an old friend the other night, he said that he just saw you when you live in the night. We was best friends It all came to an end And things change one day I hope you realize I tried I tried I tried I tried Girl, I tried Yeah, I tried I tried I tried Maybe one day we'll find common ground When the weather's warm and the trees are green Maybe when the leaves start falling Maybe one